0: Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH because here we go... Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And for the first segment, we have a special guest coming back on the show. Now, if you listened to the sports show this week, and I hope you did, and by the downloads and streams, a lot of you have. So thank you very much. We decided to bring him back for the f- opening segment of the show because obviously you're listening to the entertainment edition of the ODPH, where we talk movies, TV, and comics. Comics being the emphasis for the opening segment. If you want to find out everything going on with the ODPH, you swing on over to odphpodcast.com and use the social media hashtag ODPHpod. But we have a special guest that we don't want to wait and do the long intro for. We need to jump into arguably the most talked about TV show of the past week. And this is a gentleman on the line that has a lot to say about it because if anybody is going to talk about She-Hulk Attorney at Law, is our good friend returning to the podcast for this segment, the one and only Mike from the Multiverse of Badness. Mike, what is going on?
1: Thank you for having me on again. I had a blast yesterday talking some football, talking some UFC, and then I begged you back on, and sadly for your listeners... You're allowing me to hijack a little bit more of the show, but this is right in my wheelhouse, and I am excited to talk about what we're up against next. Yes,
0: because when we were talking about doing the show and planning out what we're doing for the Entertainment Edition, obviously She-Hulk is where we have to break down because Tatiana Maslany's hit show on Disney Plus has definitely got a lot of people buzzing about the ending. And if you've been listening to the Multiverse of Badness, which you should, LeapFrog is a franchise character of that podcast. Nobody reps him more than Mike and Zach. And when we have to kind of tie into what this show is about, this was a no-brainer. Mike was saying, if you guys are talking about this, I'd love to do this. Boom, we're making it happen. Because that whole episode had so much reaction online. And I think it caught some people off guard. If you're a longtime comic reader, it did not catch anything off guard per se. But we're going to dive into all that is the finale of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law on Disney Plus, season one finale entitled, Whose Show Is This? So let us go into it like we always do on the ODPH. We'll give you a spoiler-free statement. After our spoiler-free statement, we give you a countdown. So if you want to avoid spoilers at this stage, we're giving you a fair warning. We give you that countdown, duck out, pop back in after you see the episode. Otherwise, you have been fair warned. We are going to deep dive into this episode because there's a lot to break down. So that said, Mike, since you are our guest, give us a spoiler-free statement on the finale.
1: Well, I think the last several episodes continue to, I hate to say the word, get stronger, more entertaining, etc. Had a blast with this one. Probably the thing I like the most, being a comic book nerd myself, is the the references back to particularly a run. I won't say which one in case you, in case it may spoil something, but it does continue to reference the comic book heavily in this, and I was really excited to see those references and, and got some real... Billy laughs so yeah loved it can can no complaints
2: no I thought this episode was really good you know a for a while it threw me for a little bit but then I'm like oh cuz I didn't know quite where we were going it threw me for a loop but once I got back into it you know and I started to understand where we were going I'm like okay I'm in for this and it, it was a really good episode
0: you can definitely tell who's read a She-Hulk comic and who hasn't by their reaction to this episode I thought it was great I really enjoyed it I was very surprised by one certain appearance in this episode because there's a lot to break down when said person showed up on screen. But otherwise, I thought they really did a nice job tying it back to the comics, which we all seem to forget at times. It is Marvel Comics, not Marvel Cinematic, when we really break down these characters. So that said... We're going to go into spoiler talk now. So in three, two, one, Mike, what did you think?
1: Well, just starting out, and as much as I love the comics, probably the best throwback in this entire series and possibly in MCU history was the callback to the original Incredible Hulk TV show where Mm -hmm. they did almost the note-for-note intro. I, as a fan of the show as as a kid, i lost my shit i was like i don't know how many people are going to get this based on age because i am 50 and i watched that when i was younger so i'm guessing a lot of the new generation of of hulk fans mcu fans may not have gotten it but for me i was completely i was like this is going exactly where i didn't know i wanted it to go but i'm super excited it did
0: yeah i'm right there with you i'm an old school fan of the bill bixby show so like, the fact I saw that intro, I marked out, I know Pat had never seen that before.
2: Nope, Uh was a little before my time.
0: Yeah, and if you've never seen that, I mean, that is some TV gold right there.
2: I've, I mean, seen, I've seen clips, but you know, I've never seen, like, a full episode.
0: Right, but the fact they decided to do the whole intro and do the Savage She-Hulk 2, which, that was a big thing as well, because that ties into the first comic series from 1980. They really played up into the 70s tv show and you know it really connected and i thought this was a nice way to kind of tie everything back to the television history of the hulks and it really started off the episode well because you have to remember since the show has been on disney plus it's gone into a couple different directions and then over the past mm, three or four episodes lately they've started tying it into a storyline within telegica which in the comics is synonymous with the leader who we do know is going to be returning for Captain America 4, New World Mm -hmm. Order. So we thought, okay, maybe they're going to kind of play into this because whoever has been behind this organization has been trying to ruin Jennifer Walters. They've done everything from ruin her publicly at her acceptance for her lawyer award that she was winning. They've done everything to smear her online with an online campaign. They have really taken the time out to really try embarrassing her for no reason. And this is where... She is coming off the reaction when, at the said award ceremony, she loses control, and she is taken into custody by none other than damage control. Mm -hmm. Now, Mike, you're an old-school comic fan. When you are seeing damage control show up at these events in the MCU, what is your reaction?
1: You know what? I am not 100% sure because it seems like at times they're played – very seriously a lot more so than you'd expect but at times there's like a little underlying uh comedy i think in miss marvel even though it wasn't comedic as much i mean it was definitely definitely the way that i forget the lady leader of damage control that uh, was in miss marvel mm-hmm. um I, i'm not 100 percent sure what to think of damage control it does feel like they are trying to take some of the shield luster away in, in the run now i don't really know but yeah, I, i'm not I'd love to give a better reaction than that, but I don't even know how to react.
0: Yeah, like, the thing about it is, if you've never read the Damage Control comic, because that does exist, they're always the cleanup crew when the MCU is trashed. Like, okay, big alien invasion in New York City. Oh, guess who's responsible for cleaning it up? And miraculously, it's done within a couple days.
2: That's how they're portrayed in the cartoons.
0: Yeah. So, the fact that they are now, like, Damage Control. Yeah, like... This is still something that hasn't set in with me, because I expect this to be S.H.I.E.L.D. If it was S.H.I.E.L.D., I'd be able to understand it a little better. But the fact that you're really trying to hype up damage control in the post-Blip era Mm -hmm. is just weird to me.
2: The only thing I can think is, like, it's just they're using it for story purposes to fill the void for S.H.I.E.L.D. That like I I realize the whole Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thing happened, but Mm -hmm. we, we don't know how that ties into the Marvel Cinematic Universe overall. But I think we won't get a confirmation or any sort of like, because like we know Shields around. Yeah. But like to what extent and how widespread they are, we don't know. You know, so I don't think maybe until uh, what is it, Secret Wars? I I don't think we'll get any sort of like, okay, here's where Shields at or Secret Invasion. That's what I meant. Yeah, Secret Invasion.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right on that. I think we're gonna obviously wait for the triumphant return of Shield, but it's just so weird that they're plugging and playing damage control. Like of all the MCU properties comics universe that is that we're going with damage
1: control like of the the cleanup crew
0: all right i
1: yeah and I'll, i'll give you a damage control reference to how silly damage control is in the comics uh they did some sort of movie and i think it was issue three of damage control i can't remember the nuances but when i was researching um for a show that i did with joey when we were talked about nightcat It says in that comic that Nightcat contributed the music to the movie. So I had, Nightcat. if you don't know who Nightcat is, you guys got to go look it up because she is hilarious. um, (laughs) Yeah. So she was even referenced in damage control. So yeah, it's a, it's a wild ride what they do. And like you mentioned, it's not uh, playing them as serious as they're playing them feels a little wrong, but there did seem to be a few cracks maybe where it could get a little funny. So maybe they're really selling the hard line of these guys are serious. And then maybe we'll even get a series of that would actually be really funny if we get a kind of a drop in series. It's a damage control series, because that way you can almost do it without a lot of the stars. You could probably do it on the cheap and then have it where you get to see them at the office. And that's when you really realize, yeah, these guys are a bunch of idiots.
0: Yeah, no, I, I know they've been rumored to do that, like pre MCU blowing up is the way it has. That was always something that was kicked around. So I would love to see that, especially in the MCU. Now I think they can definitely have some fun with some of the C and D list characters. Like any, and if I can get a Great Lakes Avengers crossover with them, I'm there, I'm here for it. I'm here all day, every day for that. But as this episode kicks off, Jennifer Walters is now released from Damage Control's custody, mm-hmm. and she has the same deal that Emil Blonsky had, which she has to wear an inhibitor on her ankle that prevents her from transforming into the sensational She-Hulk. And uh, obviously the bad times are rolling because at the same point she's let go from the law firm she's working at. So suffice to say, she's down on her luck. Mm -hmm. And then we roll into where her best friends are taking the uh, hero support route, and they're trying to investigate Intelligica on their own. So you have Nikki, who's been her assistant a long time on the show. You have Pug, who is going with... Uh, who's also a lawyer at the firm, trying to go undercover to really dig into what this group is about. Now, Mike, when you're watching this unfold, like, are you going like, okay, how is this all going to play out? Because you see that you know, John Segura, who plays Pug, is not exactly fitting in with the Intelligica uh, model, shall we say.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what I was disappointed here, is I was hoping when she was fired, somehow or another they would reference, it would be like, she would say, "You can't fire me just because I'm not She-Hulk anymore." And they pull out like a paper of a photocopy you can't see, and they're like, "Jen, we have to talk about this photocopy." And then she looks at it, she's like, oh, "Okay, where she photocopied her butt?" Yeah, in the slot run. So I was hoping they would reference something oh, that like that. Magical. When she got fired, but yeah, that that was I won't say a disappointment for me. I was probably looking for too many Easter eggs and hoping because after getting Frogman and Rip it and Rip, what is it, Ribbit and Rip it? Yep. Yeah, I was like. You know, at this point, my mind has gone like off the deep end. I'm like, I just want more of this goofball way. So the fact that it was played almost too serious at the time, I was like, eh, you know what? I I need a little more. If you're gonna be this ridiculous, go full in.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you, and especially Josh Segarra, which I apologize I said John previously. He definitely played into this role, and especially just being kind of like the lackey to the group here between her and uh, Ginger Gonzalez's Nikki, who she was great the entire series, too, mm-hmm. as Jen's assistant. So as they go undercover, we find out the truth behind Intelligica. Pad? Who is the one that is behind Intelligica?
2: Uh, Phelps, uh, the, the guy for—I forget what the hell he was.
0: Yeah, he was the uh artsy date that she went That's on. What, yeah. yeah, who is like really thinking too highly of himself? He turns out to be Hulk King. Now, I sat here and I was like, ah, like this is kind of where I started turning on the episode a little bit because I'm still buying into the storyline, and I'm going
2: really my, my, my turn was about maybe five minutes later but I, at this point i was still and i was like oh okay i can understand it well because i'm sitting here going i'm fully in comic
0: mode and i'm going like oh wait so you're just going to write him off as you know the snobbish you know d-bag that is just griping to gripe like it's just i was just like okay this is kind of disappointing but we're gonna see where they go because you just see like all these like macho jockish. Uh, you know, talking down about everybody on the show, uh, like in She Hulk's camp, there it was just kind of like, all right, this is how this is gonna play out. All right, let's see how we go from here. Like Mike, I don't know what your feeling was after the big reveal.
1: Yeah, I think you're right in saying that it felt a little too, just almost on the nose, where it was like, okay, you've led us up this entire series and doing a very good job, almost predicting how people would react, especially a certain sect of Twitter. That is very upset about, you know, powerful women, etc. And then the payoff is, oh, those guys are the ones that did this. And I, but I will say this, and this is almost too on the nose, but also too perfect to pass up, is when Todd actually says to, "That's his name's Todd. Yeah, she's he's very much talking about like you were just you know, you were just given your powers. And he says something to the effect, I wasn't given my powers, I had to earn them. And this is every guy on the internet that uh-huh. hates She-Hulk, etc. And it was so on the nose that it felt, to me, that redeemed kind of the arc to say, yes, these people are exactly who you think they are, and they will go through great lengths and tell you they deserved it, even though, you know, he's sitting here telling her she was given them he stole from her, and it's like, but I earned it. So yeah, it is... Uh, Again, yeah, maybe bring the leader in here, etc. But I don't know, maybe not. So I was fine with it, especially given the way they resolve it here about five to 10 minutes later.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely got to agree with you on that. This writer's room is very
2: self-aware of uh, how the internet works.
0: Oh yeah, they definitely played right into the internet, which, you know, I got to say, kudos to them because they hit a lot of nerves spot on. So as Todd is revealed to be the head of Intelligica. Co- which I gotta say, John Bass, who who plays him, he did a great job with this, just completely snobbing it up, to put it mildly. As they're about to ready to celebrate their big win about taking She-Hulk down, he has a speaker come to address the group. Mm-hmm. And, Pad, who is this... Mighty voice of reason.
2: Uh, It would be Emil Blonsky himself, although not in human form. It's in his abomination form.
0: Yeah, so Tim Roth decides to, whose plays Emil Blonsky comes and is speaking to the group and kind of really talking
2: them up. I had a Korg vibe from him when he walked in there. Yeah. Oh, hey guys, uh, here we're here to give you a motivational speech. I hear you're really motivated to do some great things in the world.
0: Yeah. So, like, during this entire time after Jen is confronting, you know, Todd about this, she's seeing this and is like losing her mind. Because she's like, wait, I just went to your retreat here mm-hmm. and everything was fine. We had a moment, you know. See, I, had, I
2: had an open invite. I needed to get away from the craziness of the world. And it turns out the craziness of the world is here.
0: Yeah. And she reacts how you would think she would react smashes the inhibitor, gets down to business. So this is where things really start going into a good direction because things start rapidly spinning out of control. Uh huh. Because at this point, we have cameos coming in from Titania. Just Y-Pad and Mike. Reasons. Reasons. (laughs) So she's there. You start seeing that, obviously, more characters throughout the
2: series are coming in. And then all of a sudden, Uh cousin Bruce Banner reappears out of the sky. Literally. Like no no pomp and circumstance. Just shows up.
0: Yeah. And he's been gone the entire uh, season. Since the first episode. Yeah. Because he was flying away. To planets, a car, mm-hmm. which we'll get into that a little later. Yeah. So at this point, everybody watching at home is like either in one of two camps. You're like really excited because this is tying everything together and like, oh, you know, it's Marvel. It's all connected. Or two, and this was me
2: going, what are we doing here? That was me. This is this is where the episode started to lose me for a bit because they had me the entire way, you know, Todd being the bad guy and all the the... Macho bros wanted to, you know, get the powers and this and that. I'm like, okay, okay. And then Bruce showed up and Titania showed up and people started fighting. And it's like the kitchen sink got thrown in there. And I'm like, all right, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, like I, I got so confused. Mike,
0: when this is going on, what's your reaction?
1: I'm not 100% sure, but I can say this. Before we go on, it needs to be noted that Abomination is, is here solely as a motivational speaker and he is not an incel. He was, this is a paid, uh, Appearance. For him. So yeah, because at first I was like, don't turn this out where he's one of these guys, but he's very much about motivational speaking and etc. And he, I don't think he knew what he got himself into because he did, he was trying to protect uh She-Hulk at times, or I guess Jessica or Jennifer, sorry. Yeah. But, um, yeah, at this point it's, uh, everything's going off the rails and the one thing that of course is saving it for me because i think i see it coming as soon as as soon as she's like hey this does this isn't where we're going you know this doesn't make any sense so it's very much like you can if you've read the series if you've read the comics you can tell almost exactly what's going to happen so even though it seemed like everything was going bananas it was salvaged because of the narration of of the she-hulk
0: yeah, mm-hmm. which, which this was perfect because she literally takes a page out of the John Byrne run, mm-hmm. and this has been done numerous times. Like you can go look through that Fantastic Run, and she stops and is like, "Nope, we're having a word about this." She winds up busting through the Disney Plus
2: opening screen, mm-hmm, the the hub on Disney Plus, the hub page, yeah, to go down to the Marvel Studios window. The Marvel well, the uh, the, Mar- the studios assembled, yes, the, the behind the scenes thing they do for every show and movie,
0: yeah. So she starts walking around. She goes into the writer's room. Yeah. So she sees Jessica Gow. She sees Zeb Wells. Uh-huh. And it's like, and a, and a few of the other notable names. And it's like, what are we doing here? Like, this is
2: crazy. They're like, oh, no, this is awesome. Yeah. And she's just like, wait, what is, what is this? I, who is responsible for this? Why, why is Bruce here? We haven't seen him, like, the entire series. Well, we need him to set up the, no, do it later. Do it later. Yeah. This was perfect. Like, this,
0: I was like, I'm back in. Because this really captures that whole John Byrne run, and I can't stress it enough. She Hulk was to, in my uh, opinion, and I think I, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong on ODPH uh, social media, she's the first one in the Marvel's comic universe to really break that fourth wall. Probably, I would say like I know, did, I know, yeah, like I know Deadpool did it, but She Hulk is the originator of this. And this played so much into the, that whole narrative that she does. So they're basically saying, "Well, you need to go talk to Kevin to to solve the problems." Mm-hmm. So you see her walking through Marvel Studios, uh-huh. and everybody's trying to dismay her, like you're not going to see him. And she's like, "Get in there!" And she's like, "I don't give a shit. We're going to have a word with him." And she winds up going into the office. Yeah. And Pad. What does she see when she goes in the office?
2: Well, it's not a human and it's not a gentleman wearing a hat. It's a robot, like something out of like a portal video game or, or 70s sci fi movie uh, titled K E V I N. You know, he's an artificial intelligence uh, and supposedly he's in charge of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's uh, storyline decisions. Uh, you know, they tried talking, I guess behind the scenes, they tried talking Kevin Feige into letting him wear a hat, but he, you know, he put the foot down on that one.
0: Yeah. Mike, what was your thoughts seeing this all unfold?
1: Well, I'll be honest with you. A few things. I have to rewind for just a second because I want to say I loved that they tied the John Byrne run completely in because they've been hinting at it. The fourth wall breaking's been there, but then when she's finally like, "This writing's awful," and then she goes and she's busting through the kind of the Marvel Disney, you know, uh, logos to get and change her location. It's all John Byrne now, all the time, and now. In the comics, she's always accosting Byrne. And this is her opportunity to actually take John Byrne on one on one. And she is surprised. However, I was not as surprised as she should have been. And this is an unfortunate decision by the closed captioning. I watch everything with closed captioning on. I am that guy. And when they were referencing Kevin in the writer's room, it was coming up as K period, E period, V period, uh... I period. And it completely ruined the moment because you instantly knew. I saw it the first time. I was like, that's weird. And then I saw it again. I was like, no. And then when She-Hulk was talking, it was Kevin with no periods. When the the writer's room was talking, it had the periods. I was like, this is going to be an AI or a bot or something. And sure enough, it was. So I was not as surprised as I could have been. And I've been trying to tell people without spoiling this. I'm like, don't watch with closed captions on. They're like, why not? I was like, just this one episode I'm the same guy I watch everything those options on don't do it you're going to be very disappointed to do. It.
0: Yeah because Kevin turns out to be the knowledge enhanced visual interconnectivity nexus. And when I saw him I'm like Modok is wearing a hat.
2: <laughs> that was
0: legit my re- my reaction I was like wait they did Modok like what the like is it supposed to be him. So you see that they are now having a meeting of the proverbial minds. About the direction of the episode, which I got to give Tatiana Maslany definitely was playing this up perfectly and going back and forth and doing a lot of Easter eggs for the fans, too, because she's like the Hulk does, you know, smashes a lot of things and occasionally Matt Murdock and goes obviously pushing for the storyline between her and Matt Murdock to continue and then decides to to drop the bombshell of all bombshells. When are we going to see the X-Men?
2: Yeah, I didn't expect the X-Men's first mention in the MCU to be in a uh, fourth wall break in She-Hulk.
0: Yeah. Like, Mike, when all this is unfolding, like, how do you think this is all going over?
1: You know what? I, at this point, I thought Tatiana Malani played this. I thought she'd be great the whole series. But at this point, I was. she was really in her element. Just the face she made when she asked about the X-Men, the whole smashing Matt Murdock. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing Daredevil again. A woman has needs. You can tell she is really leaning into this entire show at this point. She is all in. She's completely invested. And I thought maybe uh, Jamila Jam- Jamil was having the most fun of any MCU character I've ever seen. I was wrong. No, Tatiana Anamalani is is really like on top of it.
0: Yeah, you could definitely tell this cast was having fun. And that was something really cool to see, too. Because obviously we've seen a lot of serious shows in the MCU. To see this one, and they completely played into the over-the-topness to of the show. To see it really unfold in this manner, I thought was just one of the the bright spots of this entire run, and especially this episode, because seeing her go back and forth with the the robotic Kevin Feige was incredible. Mm-hmm. And she winds up actually talking him into rewriting the finale. Yep, not without like a couple of you know, back and forth barter's and such, yeah, but yeah. but still, we wind up getting a new ending to the show.
2: And they even do some more fourth wall breaks, because he goes, "Hey, we need you to transform back into Jennifer Walters, but wait until the camera's off screen. All of the all of the special effects CGI guys are off in another project, and we can't afford to do it right now." Yeah, that was,
0: <laughs> that was that was some of the brilliant bartering right there. I was like, "I'm here for this." So, yeah, as, and I
1: loved when even uh, yeah, and I had her name wrong. Sorry, it's Tatiana Maslany. I'm, I'm an idiot. no worries. I, I love when she was about ready to change back into She-Hulk. She asked Kevin. She's like. What's the best way you want me to do this? What's best? So it's like it really is just kind of ridiculous how they were leveraging that in such a in a beautiful way.
0: Oh yeah, like they could not have played it any more perfect. So as the show goes back to the timeline, I guess you could say at this point, we find out obviously Phelps and Inteljica has been arrested for their misdoings. Yep. Blonsky has been taken back into custody because he he broke the he
2: violated parole majorly. Yep. And we go back to a happy scenario. Oh, Well, and and real fast, right at the last possible minute, Daredevil shows up ready to save the day, and she's like, well, we could have used you about five minutes ago.
0: Yeah. And he's like, oh.
1: And I want to mention one more part, because it is my favorite part in this entire series, and that's saying something, is when She-Hulk is walking over to Todd, and Titania pulls out her phone, and she's like, OMG guys, we're about to witness a murder. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> every bit of my shit. I was like, that is just absolutely hilarious. So yeah, just kudos to the way it was delivered. Just it, it was it was the funniest thing I think. And I've seen Frogman, etc., in the show Leapfrog, I guess, but that just I've lost. I was like, this is perfect. This is Chef's kits.
0: Yeah. No, I I forgot about that too. Because like they just were the chemistry they all had together they just played off each other and just kept really raising the bar each time they were on screen together. Like it's just, it's just one of the magical things about this show is they really broke through the fourth wall and just were really going, how over the top can we get without being too cheesy? And they found, they found the the perfect line for it because I don't think at any point it, it went super over the top. Like, I guess you can say like the Megan, the stallion scene, I guess, I guess, but that was also playing oh. no, but you, I like I say I like I say you could try making an argument for it. Like I didn't think it did, but I'm like yeah, like maybe I guess. But at the same time, it played into the strength of the show.
1: Well, I mean, I, I would say this about that is like literally, that is just you know a person, a female having fun mm-hmm. and dancing and being like, hey, you know what? I've got one of my, you know somebody I love here, and I'm just gonna have fun. And she did, and she leaned into it, and you know and that's the way like you know at least the way that I've been in offices fortunately I've been in offices that are relatively cool is you know people can have a little fun people can show a little personality nobody's nobody's really like oh you got to be prim and proper all the time and and I really thought that that was that leaned into the entire tone of not just the show but the character who has been the entire series very much that person let's have fun let's you know let's leave it all out there and you know have a good time so yeah when good things happen, she's excited, so she should do whatever she wants to do. I'm, I'm happy for things like that.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I was too. Like I say, that's, that's the only thing I get. Like I was saying, you, you could try saying it went over the top, but I don't think it did. Yeah. Like, I think they it yeah. just really played and They were having fun the entire time. And for anybody that's, like, losing their minds about this, we like to remind you, if you enjoyed the scene from Guardians of the Galaxy 1, you have no claim to be mad about the Megan the Stallion scene. Just putting that out there. As we go back to the show, though, we see that everybody's having the family dinner. Matt Murdock is now meeting Jen Walters' family, and we get the moment in this episode that really blew my mind: that Bruce Banner returns, mm-hmm. and Pad,
2: who does he return with? Uh, his kid named Zakar, I think is what Scar. it was. Scar, Scar. Thought, sorry, yeah, Scar. He's got a kid. Oh, he has a kid, all right.
0: Mm-hmm. Mike, how familiar are you with Planet Hulk?
1: I'm not a fan. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> I'm more a fan of that than uh, what they did to my boy Scar, though, in, in the show. But, but uh, sadly, I was ruined. Again, something else ruined me. Even good friends I know posted pictures of this before I had a chance to see She-Hulk on Twitter. and They know better, so I'm looking at you. I won't dox anybody. But don't <laughs> post spoilers out on Twitter the day of the show, people. Please Ex- don't.
0: Exactly. We have a 72-hour rule for a reason, folks. And it's a good one, so moments like that don't get ruined. But I will say, when they introduced Scar, I freaked out, and then my instant reaction was, what the hell did they do to his hair? Yeah. That was legit my thing. I was like, oh, wait, is it... oh, wait, what the fu-? Like, his hair. Yeah. Because it looked like they messed up the CGI, and they just did not go back and fix it before they aired it, because it looks like he has pretty much half of his head shaved, or buzz cut, and the rest is long. I mean, that is a
2: stylistic choice. Some people do.
0: Yeah, but it's still, if you've ever seen him in the comics, that was not something he's ever worn. I know. But, you know, this is something to see how this is all going to unfold because if you're not familiar with him, he is the the legit son of Bruce Banner, and from his time on planet Hulk, he is the only survivor of Sakaar that comes to Earth to meet up with his dad because his mom sacrifices herself to save him and basically gives her powers to him, so now he has the mm-hmm. power of the old world where he can adapt to, like, gravity and, and um, molecular substances too. Like, he can do a lot of things and you think the Hulk strength is something? He can really unload punches on people too. But he decides to go more like the Conan, the barbarian route, and he carries a big-ass sword and he's not afraid to go cut some people. Like, that is him in a nutshell. And he is an interesting character to say the least, but now we've, the fact we've introduced him to the MCU, Mike, when you saw him appear... Did you think the same thing I did and go, we have the newest member to Young Avengers slash champions?
1: Something like that. They are definitely working in a lot of young actors into these roles. And it's smart. Uh we can talk, and I'll let you guys talk because I'm sure you talked about it before before, is you know, um hand solo in the MCU, so to speak. You know, Harrison Ford, he's 80. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, at least they're getting some young characters in here, and like you said. Let's get some. Let's have some fun with some young characters. Let's build up, like you said, "quote unquote" champions. Hell, it could be uh, the defenders, for all we know, the new defenders. But yeah, it's ultimately at its core, it's the young Avengers.
0: Yeah, and I like how they're mixing up the lineup too. Mm-hmm. Like Scar was somebody I did not expect to see because the whole thing is to do Planet Hulk and World War Hulk because you have to do one or both of them to really do the story justice. There's no way they can do that with a Hollywood budget. Like, I mean, it would be Avengers Endgame type money.
2: Well, and I think part of the reason they're taking some liberties with the lineup of young Avengers is, and it just appears to me, they're making it as close to the Avengers line without putting the actual Avengers actors and actresses in there. Mm -hmm. Just so it's more familiar and and it's an easier draw for the casual moviegoer and somebody who like us who haven't read a ton of comics because we're used to the, the rotating cast and people coming in and out and all these different people that's really confusing for your average moviegoer who, like, they know the movies and they know the characters, but it stops at about there. Yeah. You know, so I think if you introduce this new thing and call it Young Avengers, which, hey, I know the Avengers name. That's Marvel. I might be interested in that. And then you see, oh, hey, they got, you know, they got Riri Williams. That's, you know, Iron Man. They got thor's daughter you know she's over there they got the bruce banner they got the hulk's kid they got the you know the the ant-man and the wasps ki- you know kid over there oh okay I, th- I think that's purposely what they're doing is they're making it as close to the actual movie avengers line just so it can connect with people easier
0: that's a that's a great idea pad like you know a theory with that and i think they are i mean especially with how many young heroes they're introducing like they're going to be setting up for movies down the road which is mm-hmm. smart because obviously we know there's only so much you can do with contracts, and I, I don't think anybody's doing the nine film deals anymore like they used to. I don't to. think
2: Marvel's even doing that anymore.
0: No, I don't. I don't think they are. I think uh, Kevin Feige came out and said he's only kind of really pushing for three. Yeah, which is smart, but it's also can backfire too if you're trying to make sure everybody's all connected. But, I mean, that's, that's a whole different ball wax.
2: Yeah, but I think the thing of it is is it's easier for an actor or actress to stomach three movies and then, hey, if we, they want to come back, they can always come back rather than locking them in for a decade of their life.
0: Yeah, that's true. But as we see, everybody meets the newest addition to the Banner family. We also get the happy ending. Jennifer Walters is back at the law firm, mm-hmm. and she's still vowing that she's going to be a lawyer and a superhero. So her story is done for now. But we get a bonus scene, and I definitely want to get everybody's opinion on this one. We get Wong reappearing Mm -hmm. and freeing the abomination from his cell. Mm -hmm. So, Pad, first, your thoughts on this.
2: Well, I got to point out a very interesting bit of dialogue from this scene, uh, which could have one or two meanings, depending on how you look at it. Uh, You know, the portal opens up. Wong's standing there. Blonsky says something to the effect of, well, that took you long enough. And he goes, yeah, I w- I know I was busy, and then Blonsky looks at him and goes, "You got sucked into another show, didn't you?" Which
1: mm-hmm.
2: which could mean one of two things because we remember from earlier in the season he was binge watching The Sopranos. Yes. So it could mean he's been he finished The Sopranos and he's moved on to another show and he got sucked into another binge watching show, or he got sucked into another Marvel television product. Ooh, because this show does like to break the fourth wall.
0: Which show do you think it was? Oh, I have no idea.
2: I, I just know it's been pointed out that like that that line can have one of two meanings. A, he got sucked into another binge watch. Or B, he got sucked into another actual Marvel television show.
0: Mike, what's your thoughts on that scene?
1: Uh, I'm going to agree with Pat as far as what he, what he read into that. And hopefully, if there's a God in heaven, we get the Wong Madison show that everybody wants. Yes! yes. It's a part of it. Is that going to happen? It's highly unlikely. But what I was really hoping for, since they called back uh, the old Incredible Hawk at the beginning, I was hoping that the actually cut scene, the end credits scene here, would be a picture or a small video of when the barber cut Scar's hair and he had to walk away <laughs> from the barber's chair. And it was like, because they murdered your boy's hair.
2: Yeah, they did. You know what they could do for the Wong Madison show? They don't even have to do a show. Just do a series of like five shorts, you know, five minutes apiece. You could crack them out in a day.
0: I'm gonna one up everybody here. Two right. words: Strange Academy.
2: Well, maybe.
0: Right. But but Wong is the headmaster. Madison is there as a, t- as a teacher because maybe
2: she's learning magic right now? <laughs> she's craft service, so she's out of the cafeteria.
0: Yeah.
1: But she does have some sort of agreement with the demon, so it's possible she has powers she doesn't know about yet to begin with.
0: Exactly. And could you imagine them rolling out Strange Academy there? <laughs> That'd be awesome. I'm just saying that would be absolutely insane because the only place I can see the Abomination now winding up since he's been freed, he's got to go to Thunderbolts. Like or I'm sorry, as I refer to it, as Black Widow two, because that whole team is literally everybody from Black Widow.
2: Yeah, you're not wrong.
0: Yeah, which I don't like it. I no, I, I don't like the team setup either. I wish I, if I was writing it, obviously I would have gone the Kurt Busiek, uh, Mark Bagley run from way back when. Like that was the prime time to do it. I think they they did a rare misfire. Um, unless we get something else out of this, but the fact that you're going to do this with more or less, everybody's got the same power set. You're either going to have Agents of the Shield 2.0 or you're going to have just a really big sequel to Black Widow because that's the only thing I can see coming from that. But if the Abomination gets added to it, I think it would be smart. Mm-hmm. But I, like, I just don't know where they're going to go with him about this one. Yeah, I don't know. But either way, I thought this show really hit its stride. I thought it ended on a perfect note. And like I can't stress enough, they had so much fun doing this show. And you can definitely tell from the Megan the Stallion scene, which like I say, if people want to try making an argument for it, I could see it. But at the end of the day, you gotta remember everybody went over the top and was just celebrating, having fun. And that's the thing you should be taking away from this show. Uh-huh. Like there was never a moment in here that I thought they got themselves too serious. And I thought that we got to see a great reintroduction for Charlie Cox's Daredevil into the MCU because this is the Mark Wade Chris Stamney run. And I'm here for that one because mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's not going to be dark and brooding. He's going to be the swashbuckler. Perfect. We haven't seen this version of him on the MCU in, 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 in ever, I think. So I'm definitely excited to see that. And I think for Jennifer Walters, she's now a character that's going to have a major impact on the on the Avengers moving forward. We do know we have more Avengers movies coming. I definitely see her being a bigger part of that as it plays out. So that said, Mike, what is your final take on the season and finale in general?
1: I think it kept building and building the last three episodes, particularly. And we won't even go back to Walgreens and Madison, but the retreat, of course, it started really leaning into that burn run. It's like, okay, yeah, we haven't given you quite enough of these C and D level villains. Let's do a whole show with them. And then the retreat was hilarious course the second to last episode with leapfrog slash frogman yes no that's that's that lost every bit of my shit with that one and i love the finale so i love the entire run i looked forward to it i every every episode some episodes of particular moon night i'd be like oh, i'm not sure if I'm, you know and some of the other series miss marvel but this was one where every episode to me was better than the last and i think it culminated really well i loved it no complaints a plus chef's kiss
2: Bad. No, I thought this uh, this season finale was phenomenal, top shelf, everything I could have wanted and more. And the season overall was a really fun ride. It was, you know, not necessarily as serious and, and kind of wild and crazy as some of the other episodes, but it had its moments of shock and surprise. And, and I think it made for fun television. You know, if you were waiting till the end of the season to watch the whole thing all the way through, I think you're going to enjoy the ride. You know, and and then. Also, as well, you know, I'm excited to see where the character goes from here. I mean, because there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of avenues I think you can do with She-Hulk. And where they go from with that is going to be very interesting.
0: Yeah, this show definitely hit all its major points. I absolutely love it. We all give it a very high recommendation. So if you haven't seen it for whatever reason, make sure to go to Disney+. Go check it out and then give us your thoughts. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about the She-Hulk series and finale in general? And, Mike, before we let you go, why don't you let everybody know how they can find you and definitely follow the multiverse of badness. Can't recommend this podcast enough.
1: Well, thank you again for having me on. I love me some UFC. I love me some She-Hulk and MCU, especially TV shows in general. So, yeah, this was an honor and a privilege. Uh, you can check out my podcast. It's like for well, our podcast, my host, Zach and I, Oh Multiverse of Badness. You can find us just about anywhere you find podcasts. Um, go to multiverseofbadness.com if you can't find podcasts because we're there. And as far as Twitter, I love to interact with people. If you think I'm an idiot and have no idea what I'm talking about here on the ODPH, don't blame those guys for having me on. Bring the heat <laughs> straight to me on Twitter at Multiverse of Bad. Thank you guys. Can't stress it enough. I love the show. I am a patron, and you guys should be too, because Ken's out there now stepping on my feed. He's reviewing comics on his Patreon. What's up, man?
0: You know, I I got hit up and I was everyone was asking me to like start doing it because we obviously talk about comics on the show and I was like okay I'll do a deep dive here and there but you know people were asking to do it and and the feedback has been very great so thank you but you know I'm definitely not gonna be stepping on the toes of the badness you guys go to the realms of comics that like I applaud because anybody willing to go back into the things run of you know his his uh, solo stories and let alone you were willing to dive into the skull kill crew. I fully commend and applaud.
1: Well, thank you again. And step on as many toes as you want because I checked out your most recent episode of the new Spider-Man. And yeah, love it. Um, Just love the reviews. And the more ODPH I can get, the better. So yeah, thanks again, guys.
0: Appreciate the kind words. And like we say, definitely hit up Mike on Twitter and social media. You should be following them. And let him know what you thought of She-Hulk. And let us know what you thought of She-Hulk, too. Definitely want to keep that conversation going. But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you tired of watching the same old awesome movies? Are B-movies more your style? Then the folks over at They Call This A Movie have you covered. Join us every Thursday as we review the worst of the worst in sci-fi, action, comedy, and more. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean at a movie.podbean.com. They called This A Movie, testing the strength of
1: friendships one terrible movie at a time.
0: Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and wow, wow, wow. (laughs) We need to recap the latest House of the Dragon episode on HBO Max. The Game of Thrones spinoff has definitely hit its stride. A lot of wild things went down, to Mm -hmm. put it mildly. So we are going to be talking about episode nine entitled The Green Council, so you know the deal by now. Spoiler free statement. After the countdown, we go spoiler heavy. So, Pad, that said, give me your spoiler free statement.
2: I'm not gonna lie. For like the first like 85, 90 percent of this episode, I was kind of like, I was getting to the point where I was like, all right, maybe it won't be as crazy as you know Game of Thrones penultimate episodes used to be. And then we got to like the last ten, five, ten minutes, and I'm like, oh, there it is, there it is. This was the craziest episode yet. And, and it feels like this is a series of explosions, you know, like you got a bunch of powder kegs in a row and only the first one went off. And, and you know, we're waiting on the second, third, fourth, fifth one to go off like this is not done by any stretch of the imagination. And, and I'm here for it.
0: The last 10 minutes of this episode really defines this episode because things went zero to 100 really quick. And I think that they are now going into that final episode, which this is going to be the last one for a year, I heard. Something like so that, So 2024, yeah. they're slated to come back. Yeah. Going into that finale, the fan base is buzzing. Pop culture was buzzing on mm-hmm. Sunday night. There was a lot of reaction to this episode, and rightfully so, because mm-hmm. for anybody that was worried they weren't going to be able to recapture the magic. And I know we talked about this when we were previewing the series. They have found a way to tap back into the good part of Game of Thrones that – We didn't see a lot of that final season. They've recaptured some of that early magic. And man, did they ever pull some tricks out with this episode?
2: That said, three, two, one. Talk to me. Thought it was an amazing episode. Quite possibly the best one of the season thus far. And like I said, those last 10 minutes. Holy fucking shit. Allison's
0: mom of the year. (laughs) Yes, she is. And oh my God, we got dragons. Oh, did we ever get dragons? Because now this episode jumps in where Viserys is long gone. Mm-hmm. So now everybody is planning
2: on filling in the successor role. We'll say the plans they've been machinating and the you know schemes they've been scheming for the better part of like 15, 20 years. Well, time to put your your money where your mouth is and see if you plan right. If not, good luck.
0: Yes, and this is where Queen Alicent had overheard Viserys on his deathbed talking about his dream and Prince Aragon and really thought she was meaning his kid, mm-hmm. uh, even though it was not the case. So mm-hmm. one one little misunderstanding has now spiraled into this whole yeah. fracas we're in. Yeah. If I can use the word fracas. So now, is planning of the ascension of Aragon to the throne, mm-hmm. which is getting met with a lot of mixed results.
2: Causing some ruffles. It definitely
0: is, because now you're seeing Allison is... Finally, working her way to taking over full control of the throne. Mm-hmm. So she is positioning herself in all of these different areas that she is going to be overseeing. But
2: I don't think that she's ready for this role because no. she seems
0: that she is getting
2: very overwhelmed at times. Yeah, I mean, she's clearly thought about it because the speed at which you know the husband dies and then she's like, you know, game planning and, and master, you know, uh, strategist. Mm-hmm. you know strategist is astounding but at the same token though it's it's you know when it comes time to put your feet to the proverbial fire me thinks the fire is a little too hot for her feet
0: yeah i mean that's one thing i really like about olivia cook's performance is she's not coming off like cersei no by any stretch but she's she's carving her own character but she has
2: faults she has flaws
0: mm-hmm. she's not the one that's really in full control, yeah. even though she thinks she is.
2: She's like a shittier version of Cersei. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, like, she's she wants the best for her kids. She wants to put her kids and her own family in power, you know, and in, in the right position to succeed. But she's not necessarily willing to go that extra step to do it. Whereas Cersei, if she were in this position, would have had her kid in her and all the necessary parties in some other room blown the throne room or whatever room she decided to to fucking kingdom come Mm -hmm. without batting an eyelash and been like well isn't that convenient the person you didn't want the person you wanted to be in charge is now dead and uh, my kids the only one left Well, looks like we got an easy settlement here
0: yeah so Allison wouldn't do that Allison's not there yet even though she's trying oh yeah but you know Perception is reality is not clicking through, even though I mean she has Sir Kristen wrapped around her finger oh like nobody's business, yeah. and, and he's now the hitman for hire so to speak. Yeah, kills Lord Bisbee mm-hmm. uh, or Beesbury, mm-hmm. because Renera's you know supporters are in the way of making Aragon yep. king. Yep, so she's. Systematically trying to take him out.
2: Oh, say so yeah, because Renira's got a lot of sway, and given the fact of who she's married to, whether the public knows about it or not, I don't know. It's not to me. It's not exactly clear whether the public knows or not. But still, she's got a uh, rather hefty sword, so to speak, in her uh, in her pocket in her brother. Yeah.
0: So it's kind of this weird dynamic going on with this, but you see, and obviously the supporters of Renira are definitely not getting you know behind this move because. Rhaenyra is still very beloved by the kingdom. Yeah. And uh, like I say, she's not winning people over, though.
2: No. Like, that's the one thing about, uh, which I like about this show, there really isn't anybody that you want to root for here. No, there's there's no, like, charismatic, you know, leader, somebody that's, like, really nice and charming and seems like the best choice for the option. They all kind of suck in their own way. Except Matt Smith, because he's the fucking man. Well, of course. (laughs) Sorry, I am Team Damon
0: all day about this, but... Like I say, when you talk about in comparison to uh, Khaleesi, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, obviously her Queen of the Dragons and all yep, that, yep. like, you know, obviously people are rooting for her, people are rooting for Jon Snow. Yeah. You don't have that here because no. even like Rhaenyra, I mean, and it's not Emma Darcy's fault too. She's playing the role very
2: well. Oh, she's phenomenal.
0: But she's not winning people over, but no. that's her character
2: because even though she has the supporters, like, it's not the overwhelming
0: positivity going on
2: here. No. Yeah. I mean, she's she's the type with like wherever she was. I forget the name of the place, you know, but where she's ruling now. The, the brother couple episodes that go. The brother was like, hey, my you know, my brother's dead. I'm the best one to succeed. And she's like, no. He's like, why? Because fuck you. That's why.
0: Yeah. Like it's a wild play, but it's it's how she is. So, like I say, you're not seeing anybody that you really want to root for to succeed, except, you mm-hmm. know, Maximus Damon is the best character oh, on the of show. Course. Yeah, no, I don't care. <laughs> I will talk about this all day online. Julio from the Contrarians, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Because we are both big fans of him and how what he's doing on the show. And like I say, when you start seeing how this all plays out, the forces that are... Like picking the lesser of two evils here, Mm -hmm. like that's literally what's coming Mm -hmm. down to. Are not buying into Allison being the queen and having that control. So, as you're seeing, there's the power vacuum that's going on, yep. And she's working her way to get anybody that's not there Mm -hmm. on her side, but she doesn't get one person, especially, and that's Princess Renee's Mm -hmm. because she is saying, Hell no. I am not supporting Aegon in any which way, shape, and or form. Mm-hmm. Like, that is probably the biggest statement that is going on here. Eve Best, who plays her, really has stood by the side of her cousin, who is the king, king yep. of Aceris, yep. And she is saying, hell no, this is not happening.
2: I've, I've known him for long enough.
0: Yeah, this is not going to go down on my watch. And Alicent is not having any of that by any stretch of the imagination. That she has basically said well, you're going to have to do this or otherwise you know, you're know, you not going to survive this more mm-hmm. or less because now she's being kept captive yep. in the castle. So if you're not agreeing, we, nobody's going to see you again. Uh-huh. I'm going to make sure of this.
2: Lock her in the tower. Mm-hmm.
0: Then she sends a hand to the King Otto to go find Aegon because he's now lost in King's Landing. Because uh, of course he is. Yeah, because why, Pad? reasons. Reason.
2: Sandy's a fucking dumbass.
0: Yeah, well, he's a dumbass. I mean, that's pretty easy why. But she, Otto is now sending... The twins out to go get him. you see, seen Allison is now saying Kristen and and Prince Erman is going too. Mm-hmm. So like everybody in town is looking for Egon who doesn't want the throne any which way, shape or form. Right. But you do see Otto gets tipped off of where Egon is, which is a very interesting scenario going on. The twins wind up finding him through the town.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: it's like a play of like who can find him first to, to like impress the queen.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, and plus it's a tenuous time just because... You know, without knowing every detail of medieval history, I'm sure it's happened in more than one occasion where, like, king dies, he's already named a successor, and in the process of changing hands, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. You know, the the kingship, throne ship. You know, I'm sure there's been instances where the heir has been killed. You know, so and and she and Allison knows how ruthless and vicious people can be in the, in this world that they are not afraid to stab people in the back and she goes hey listen i want to secure the bag for my family mm-hmm. i want to set my family up for success if i let this kid out on his own hell even if it's to go to the market to buy an apple somebody could sw- walk up beside him and slit his throat i gotta find this kid damon
0: <clears throat> excuse me damon yeah which i i think is going to happen sooner than later but Yeah, so she has to go round him up and bring him back into the fold because she knows that she can't take the kingdom directly. She has to use her kid. Mm -hmm. And you definitely see he is fighting this because he's like, I don't want any part of this. Like This is is not me. And meanwhile, doesn't have the option. And then when Princess Renee escapes from the tower, she's getting some help. Yeah, she is. But this is not going the way that everybody's planning because she is just bobbing and weaving throughout the town because they're basically searching through for anybody that's not on board with this and is basically killing
2: them. Oh, yeah, that's pretty much the, we're going to hold a knife to your throat. Hey, who do you like as king? Oh, good, you said my son. Go about your day. Oh, what what's that? You said uh, Rhaenyra? Bye.
0: Mm-hmm. But this is all playing into Allison's plan, because she says how she can convince Aegon to be the king. And there's that weird moment where they're going to the coronation. Mm-hmm. Where he says, Mother, do you love me? And she's like, You're an idiot.
2: <laughs> like,
0: it's just such a cold
2: line. I'm starting to think she doesn't. No, she's a means to an end because, yeah. hey, as we know with uh, royalty, you know, the kingship doesn't move laterally. Well, usually it doesn't move laterally. Mm-hmm. Uh, more often than not, it moves upward and it moves downward. Yeah. So it is
0: wild to see how this is all playing out. And when you have this unfold, you know that this is all just a setup. This is a big PR stunt even oh, yeah even the time oh, they're, of, they're posturing yeah, even in the time of Game of Thrones it, it's, it's such a made-up moment but yet here we are- mm-hmm. so then everybody is led into the town of the dragon pit where they're putting on a spectacle like this is a royal coronation that you expect to see
2: oh yeah and this is so forced and so rushed just because you know the king died in the night. Mm-hmm. Presumably, you know, they haven't said, but presumably almost no time has passed.
0: No, it's just literally 12 hours. Like, that's it, the way I took it.
2: It, it. You know, so at some point in the night, King died. This is all the next day. So you would figure under normal circumstances, this would be a whole process that would take days, if not weeks to to certify, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But this is like signed, sealed, delivered. We are doing this now because we have got all the necessary pieces in place to not fuck this up. And I want to get this done now.
0: Yeah, so they're definitely rushing through everything because they know there'll be resistance.
2: We'll say they're playing it on any percent completion speed run.
0: Yeah, so it's a weird scenario, but you know how forced it is. You know, everybody looks super uncomfortable up there for the most part, except Allison because she's manipulating everybody about this. So you do see Aegon go and stands before the crown mm-hmm. because obviously they've announced King Viserys is dead. Yep. the heir has been a success. You know, been announced. Yep, you know the succession is here. Yep. He now stands and poses in front of the crowd, and he raises the sword up, because now he's starting to buy into his own hype.
2: Yeah, I think he's seeing the crowd, he's seeing how the, how hyped the crowd is, but of course Honeymoon Face. Yeah, exactly. You know, how hyped the crowd is, and he's like, you know what, this might not be so bad.
0: Yeah, so what he doesn't realize is Renee's is now running around the town, because once she was freed by, was it Sir Eric that freed her? I think so, yeah. So she now has one ally that's helping, which is kind of weird to see how this plays, but you do see that she she's now escaped and she goes into somewhere we don't know exactly where at the mm-hmm. time.
2: It's underneath. It's underneath the building, though.
0: It's underneath the building, which, like I say, we find out is the dragon pit. Mm-hmm. So now, putting one to one together, we do see the final ten minutes unfold. Mm-hmm. Aegon is standing in front of a packed house, yep. stadium size. If you if you need a visual inside like, this castle,
2: like the doors are open to this to this room. And the and the crowd is standing out into the doorway and out the other side.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, Pad, what happens?
2: Uh, the ground shakes. There's a bit of an earthquake, uh, and then the ground underneath them breaks. And who comes through the, the uh, floor? A giant fucking dragon ridden by Renee. Uh, it's her dragon, uh, Melis M E L E Y S. Yeah, you know, breaches the floor, Rex house. Causes all devastation. Should have blown some fire. But then again, that would have ended the whole show because most of the important characters were on stage at that point. Uh, phenomenal scene. Holy shit. It was such an
0: intense scene because she comes emerging like the phoenix out of the fucking yeah, ashes. Yeah. And you see her just standing there. Allison freaks out. She, like, shits her britches. Exactly. Because she's sitting there the entire time going, like, wait, what just happened?
2: Like, what the fuck? How I, did I, you get out? I didn't plan for this.
0: Yeah. And you just see Renee's is on top of the dragon, just poised and ready. And you see that dragon is ready to unload.
2: And all the while, people are dying from getting you know upended into the fucking ceiling. Because oh yeah, the this- dragon comes through it, and the people who aren't killed are trying to flee through the back door. Oh, by the way, they're shutting the door. Yeah, the doors. Get, I don't. I didn't recognize who it was, but somebody was shutting the door. Or the doors, I should say. I thought it was Eric, to
0: be honest with you. Could have been. Like, I think it was a setup. Like, he thought they were really going to kill everybody in there. So
2: the doors are getting shut, blocking people in there. All the meanwhile, somebody is on stage yelling, open the doors, open the doors. And the dragon gets up there. Allison steps in front of her kid because she's convinced he's about to torture, but hello it's a giant fucking dragon what the fuck you think you're gonna do standing in front of him? you're both gonna get torched well she just has this maternal instinct that kicks yeah. in for the first time this entire episode yeah i'll say freaking you know 10 50 minutes ago Oh, do you love me mother Pff, idiot yeah you know well she, she stands in front ready to get burned to a fucking crisp like a marshmallow and then the dragon just roars gets a little bit of saliva on her and leaves
0: yeah it, and basically renee says like i can get you at any time like you, Bitch, you, try it. You just made the biggest mistake of your life. Uh-huh. And I'm going to let you live because I'm going to come back. And when I come back, you're not going to want to see me. She flies off. Yep. And that is how we wrap things up. Wild. But insane to see this all unfold that now Allison, who thought she had control, thought she had everything in her favor, mm-hmm. loses everything within the last 10 minutes, because even though Aegon is still king, yeah, he's now been publicly embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And this is one thing about the Game of Thrones land is word travels fast, even without
2: the internet or Twitter. Yeah. And people know that he got punked out. Well, and you have to figure that's a public declaration of war. Oh, you know, God, b- yeah. B- between, you know, Rhaenyra's crew, because Rhaenyra is technically in charge of her own little island portion, whatever it is. You know, so you have to figure that. And, and we know uh Rhaenyra or whatever it is, is on Daemon and Rhaenyra's side. Mm-hmm. you know. So that that has to be a de- considered a declaration of war. So, hey, congratulations, you have a king, and he's put you at war inside the first five minutes.
0: Mm-hmm. Like everything's falling apart instantly. And it's brilliant. <laughs> Literally. It's brilliant to think about it, because Allison has sat here this entire time. She manipulated her way to get into the king's graces. Thought she was playing chess. She's really playing checkers. Mm-hmm. And now she is at a standstill with... The supporters that she has, which Mm -hmm. were all in that building that, like I said, I can't remember exactly if it was Eric or whoever was shutting the door, but they were trying to kill everybody in there. Oh, yeah, they were. Like, that's the whole takeaway from this. This was a planned attack in there. Oh, yeah. And yet, now everybody lives or is able to survive is now going to go run around King's Landing and go, the king could not fend off the threat. Mm -hmm. What is going to happen now?
2: Well, I get the feeling somebody's going to die. Who, although I'm not entirely sure because the next episode is titled The Black Queen, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, if you wear black, you typically know what that's for. Yeah. So,
0: you know, like, they're going to kill off somebody who Game of Thrones. Like, we're back to real Game of Thrones. Like, not this watered-down nonsense of the last season, in my opinion. Like, something is going to go crazy. I fully think Matt Smith's Damon is going to kill off one of the kids. He might kill Aegon. Could be like he's gonna do. There's gonna be a standoff of some sort. Like you're almost seeing. There's there's one or two scenarios that's gonna happen with him. He's gonna fight Sir Kristen. Like that that battle's eventually coming. Mm-hmm. Or he's gonna fight uh, the one with the eye patch. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, kids, yeah. Who I was blank on, but uh, yeah. he's, he's you know he lurks around there. Yeah, you know, he's Amon, Prince Amon. I really? think so. Yeah. So like I say, when you start factoring that in, like okay, that's a battle that's gonna happen before the show wraps up. But to leave on such a note, which like I said, we're not going to see House of Dragon, I don't think, until 2024, this is going to be a big deal because they're going to want to keep that fan base talking and buzzing. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing about the show, even though, like I say, it's already been taped or whatever, they understand the temp in the room. Like They understand that they need to drive this episode into a fever pitch. Mm-hmm. Like I say, the fever is going to carry through because everybody is going to sit there and be buzzing about this. Like, Sunday night... I'm serious when I say this. You're going to be on social media and there's going to be just an overwhelming reaction to this because I feel that they're going to go out and this is going to be the usual episode nine. Like we thought this was crazy. They're going to end on some kind of cliffhanger note that we're not expecting. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying like you're going to see one of the, the two lead actresses get killed off here, but something big is going to go down. Like you're going to see maybe a crazy battle scene, which I think they've been kind of teasing at or at least like maybe the start to war. Like the real salvo, like the soldiers, soldier, like you know, all the armies coming together, whatever. But this goes into the the favor of the show. Like I think this was such a brilliant episode, and it really showcased the flaws of Allison. And like I said, Olivia Cook has been playing this role phenomenally. And to really see how Eve Best really sunk her teeth into this and then definitely went in and was the hero that we, we were all kind of seeing, waiting to watch. And really stole this episode because once she got loose and she was finding her way to lay low out of the sight of Allison and and her forces, stole the show, did the mic drop moment, Mm -hmm. and now is flying back to Rhaenyra and her camp and basically saying this is what's going down. Like, this is how wild this episode was. But it definitely clicked on all levels. Pat, final thoughts on this?
2: Fucking crazy episode. Loved every minute of it, you know, and especially that last 10 minutes. Wild going to be really interesting to see what happens next week because I think a few bodies are going to hit the floor.
0: I think so, too. I'm expecting a big battle. If we don't get one, they had better leave us on like this mic drop moment that we're going to be buzzing about. But I'm guaranteeing you this, social media is going to be running crazy Sunday night when this goes down. So you definitely want to make sure you catch up on the episode. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about Episode 9 of Season 1 of House of the Dragon entitled The Green Council? Let's talk, shall we? We're going to take a quick break, though. We'll be right
2: back. You ever wondered what comics Mark from Veilamai is into? What Zach from Left Behind's favorite MCU movies are? Well, Metalcore Nerds is the show for you. My name is Sean Mott, and here at
1: Metalcore Nerds, we cover the latest things in pop culture, whether it be Star Wars, Marvel, DC, AEW, and everything else in between. You can listen to the show every Monday on Adobe Howl at 7 p.m. Eastern, or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station
0: coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And there was an MCU show that we have to discuss. Yes, we do. And we didn't get a chance to, because obviously with New York comic con going on, there's a lot moving. There's a lot of TV on right now. There's a lot of moving parts that have been going on. So we're we'll definitely catching up on a lot of stuff, but this is one that we've heard a lot of people ask us about. This is one that we definitely want to speak on. Cause this is going to really open up some doors to the MCU, in my opinion. And pad,
2: what are we talking about? Uh, that is the Marvel television special, Disney Plus special, whatever you want to call it. It's a holiday special. That's for damn sure. Halloween special. Uh, Werewolf by Night. Yes.
0: We are doing the one shots now mm-hmm. in the MCU. Yes, we are. And I'm here for this because this was a first of its kind. Mm-hmm. That is a one and done for now. For now. Of an MCU character that really, I think this is going to open up a lot of doors. I agree. That I think the success of this show was really hinging on how this was going to do. I know it's been very well received on most critics' uh, scores here.
2: Yeah, so uh, on IMDb, for the user score, it has a 7.3. Uh, and then on Rotten Tomatoes, for the critics' score with 94 reviews, it's got a 90%, uh, so it's certified fresh. Uh, and then the audience score with over 1,000 ratings, it's got an audience score of 92%.
0: Yes, and if you're not familiar with the character of the Werewolf by Night, originated in 1972 Marvel Spotlight, Uh, that is the Jack Russell character. I I know that there was a different incarnation as of late. But they stayed away from it, and that's fine, because Jack Russell is the one I think a lot of the comic fans know. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if you know the history of the character, which, I mean, basically, he has a werewolf curse in his veins, so to speak. Mm -hmm. To kind of sum it up, to put it mildly, I guess, is just to say, uh, this is something that you can't escape from, and he does have the powers of a werewolf. Yes, uh, he does. Speed, strength. Healing factor clause. I mean, it's just kind of the stuff that happens with him.
2: Everything you'd expect from the, like the classic monster movies.
0: Yeah. So, like I say, he has a whole history of that through his, you know, his family and such, and that's why it kind of follows him. And obviously, they did not go into a full detail about this in the comic or in the show, rather. Right. But you can go through the comics, and he is very associated with Moon Knight in the comics. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of history there. So that said, seeing this character now show up on a Disney Plus show for even a one-shot blew my mind. Yeah. I gotta say, did not see this coming.
2: Made sense given like it's Halloween season. So, you know, people are watching horror movies and classic monster movies. So to do a werewolf theme one made all the sense in the world.
0: Yeah, like it's kind of a crazy thing going on with this. But at the same time, this is where Marvel is now winning so much. They can take a shot like this. And if it flopped,
2: It wouldn't have mattered. Well, and I think this is just another avenue, you know, for Marvel to introduce characters for down the road, because I think with the introduction of this, you can and they hinted at it. You know, we'll get to this when we get to the show, but like they hinted at some stuff in in this episode or show, whatever you want to call it, that like I think you can build off of later down the road with certain other projects cough cough blade cough cough Mm -hmm. you know but i think in future if they want to introduce you know a portion of the cinematic universe or or a certain aspect of it you know but they don't necessarily think it'll warrant you know six episodes 12 episodes multiple seasons if they think you know what we just need an episode for this and we'll call it one and done and, and it'll move on I think this is just, I think this is a way for them to do that. And this was kind of like a, you know, a foot in the water to see, will this work? Let's find out.
0: Yeah. And so far the reaction has been very positive. So we are going to be breaking down this episode and you know, the deal by now we do spoiler free statement. Then we give you the countdown and we go full spoilers. So Pat, that being said, spoiler free statement on Werewolf by
2: Night. I thought it was a lot of fun. You know, I had recently watched some of the universal, you know, classic monster movies, you know, since it is the Halloween season, hadn't seen them before. You know, so having just seen some of those, I I really dug this because you got that, you know, kind of old school 1930s, you know, mon- universal classic monster movie feel to it where, yeah, there's some death and, yeah, there's some gore and, yeah, there's some, you know, scariness, I guess you could say. But there was that classic, like, we're building up anticipation, we're building up, you know, the thrill and excitement of what you're going to see and, and, and waiting to see the, the name of the show. You know, so I, I really dug this.
0: I was thoroughly surprised by this. I I gotta admit, this really caught me off guard of how good it was. I was not expecting the cinematography and such to be like such a classic feel to it, mm-hmm. and yet it was. And for me, I've never been a big Werewolf by Night fan. In fact, I can't name anybody that was like, "That's my favorite character." Sure, but. If, you, if you're if you a big Jack Russell fan, you got a lot to be happy about. I did love his interactions he had with some of the other characters on this show. hmm And one really blew my mind, um, the fact that I now live in a day and age that I saw said character on the show. This really was well done from top to bottom. Uh, and it played right into the horror aspect, and I think this is going to be a gateway for a lot of big things to happen. And for Marvel, it's a big win. Absolutely. To showcase smaller characters... Because there is a lot that they can go deep diving with in the MCU, the comics universe. So that said, let's talk some spoilers, Pad Three, two, one. Talk to me.
2: This was really freaking awesome. I mean, just from the intro where, you know, you had the title card, you know, and it was done in that old school monster movie way. You know, to the black and white, the only thing missing, and I don't know if they would have been able to replicate it or create it, was kind of like the way those movies sounded, just because of the way they were recorded with the audio, you know, it was early audio recording for movies back then. That was about the only thing this special was missing. And it would have felt like some found footage. Marvel found this in, in like a, a warehouse someplace and decided to put it out on Disney Plus, which would have been amazing and phenomenal. But regardless, this this was everything I could have expected it to be, and then some. And I and I really think. They're gonna use this because they they, right at the outset where they they show you know the silhouetted figures of the Avengers and we have our heroes and marvels, but there's also a darker side to the world and you know that's where the monsters live. I'm like, all right, so you're very clearly setting up for some stuff down the road.
0: We now live in a day and age. Man, Thing is a live action character. Yes, and I am so here for this. Why? I never thought in my entire existence we would ever see. This character, live action, and yet has been the buzz of this show that people are wanting to see a Man-Thing episode. Mm -hmm. I never thought we'd see this. Yeah. You know, like I say, but for me, as an old school comic reader, I can't fathom that we live in a day and age where Ant-Man is a profitable franchise. Mm -hmm. The Guardians of the Galaxy are one of the biggest movie titles in in the world, and yet We have Man-Thing in the MCU live action, Mm -hmm. which just wait till the toys come out because they're coming.
2: Oh, yeah. And this was certainly a risk for Marvel just because, like you said, it's not a household name for a character. Oh, God, no. Also, the director they chose for this, not exactly a household name for directing things. This is only his third directing credit. And that is? Uh, The gentleman's name is Michael Giacchino. Uh, Like I said, this is his third directing credit. Previously, he had done a short called Monster Challenge. That was in 2018. Uh, And then in 2019, he did a TV series short one episode uh, for Star Trek uh, Short Treks. So this is his first like full fledged directing thing. He's more known for being a a movie video game television composer uh, because he has 157 composing credits. He's most known for doing the uh, score for the Disney Pixar film Up the uh, Disney film Ratatouille. He worked on Star Trek, the original one, uh, the the original J.J. Abrams one, Mm -hmm. the Star Trek Into Darkness. He did Rogue One. He's done like at least the last two, if not the last three Spider-Man films. You know, he did Thor Love and Thunder, The Batman, Uh, you know, he's done a whole bunch, Jojo Rabbit. You know, I'm just scrolling through his IMDb page. You know, he worked on Incredibles 1, Incredibles 2, some of the Jurassic World films. He's a very well-known and very good composer. So when they said, they announced this, and they're like, oh yeah, we're going to have Michael Giacchino be the director, and I'm like, wait, the composer? Yeah. And and then he talked about how much of a fan he was of those old monster movie films, and I'm like, you know what? I think they got the perfect guy for this, and you know what? They were right. Oh,
0: well, they absolutely did. Like, this was such a classic monster film. I think the closest thing I've seen to this is the Night of the Ghoul series. Mm, that just yeah. Is, it is now in print by Dark Horse Comics, and you definitely want to keep an eye on that book, just saying. But this show kicked off very eerie mm-hmm. that it was a funeral for Ulysses Bloodstone. Yes. Now Pad, are you familiar with this character in the MCU? Nope. Okay. So this is kind of a little tricky and this is a deep dive. Like they one thing I really love about the show is they deep dived for some
2: characters here. Jesus Christ, I, pl- I pulled up his page on Wikipedia, the plunging V-neck that man has. Oh yeah, dude, he Holy shit. He
0: is old school as old school gets, like 75. Oh, no, he premiered in
2: 1975. Yeah, <laughs> that's
0: like, why. Oh yeah, and okay. and the whole thing about Ulysses Bloodstone is he is a monster hunter that was immortal because he had this bloodstone. It looks like a red diamond, yeah, encrusted in him, mm. and would give him like some kind of little powers here and there. It's kind of a weird thing that has been really like it was big back then, but you really haven't heard too much about him lately. Sure, I mean, he's I know he's made some appearances here and there in the MCU and the comics universe. I haven't been following lately, so obviously hit me up on the hashtag ODPHPod if if you really have been following. My only experience really with the Bloodstone is during the summer of, I'm going to say 89, 90 range. Don't exactly quote me. Sure. Marvel was doing this uh, for the summertime for a lot of their comics. They were going uh, bi-weekly. Okay. So they're doing quick stories like Captain America did one. Yeah. Amazing Spider-Man did one and like a couple of the titles. But the Captain America one going back to that was The Hunt for the Bloodstone. And that was... The Captain America was going around trying to bring the Bloodstone back together because somebody's trying to resurrect uh, Ulysses Bloodstone or use the power for evil. Like, and that's where I got introduced because I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Mm-hmm. Why are we making such a big deal about him? Mm-hmm. But it was a very, very cool storyline that was going on there as well. Yep, I haven't read it in ages. I got to go back on Marvel's Unlimited for this as well. But it that like that was the only time I've really ever heard about like Bloodstone, and then obviously he was a monster hunter. But like you know a lot of, a lot of that kind of went away as we got into the future like Mm -hmm. i said i nothing really was jumping on the 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 timeline like i i I am i'm sure he's been through some other things but it's been like one and done like everything's been forgotten i know that he's had a daughter that they've been kind of you know plugging and playing so to speak in the mcu too but like i say it's never been a household name So, to see that we're now celebrating his funeral here, Mm -hmm. and there's all these hunters that are now coming to pay homage, Mm -hmm. it was kind of a very odd take for this.
2: Well, and it's that classic, you know, even, even not even monster movie, but like that classic 1930s, 1940s movie setup where like odd start, nefarious purposes, kind of suspect, you know, motivations, and you just see where you go from there.
0: Yeah, so obviously... One of the hunters that was invited was Jack Russell, who's played mm-hmm. by Gal Garcia Bernal, mm-hmm. who did phenomenal. Phenomenally. Oh, my God. Loved him in this role. And he is kind of walking around, and he's running into a bunch of the different hunters there.
2: He's very familiar, and he's very comfortable. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. Because uh, everyone else is like, why the fuck are we here? Like, yeah. What the hell is going on? And he's just like, it's it's like a class reunion for, for Jack. He's like, oh, hey, guys. What's going on? Yeah, he's very calm about everything
0: going on. And obviously, the ringleader of everything here is Ulysses' widow, Versa Bloodstone, mm-hmm. who's played by Harriet Sampson Harris. And she is like got a very, very ulterior motive going yeah. on here. Yeah. Just to say the least. So now she has basically said, well, you know, I brought you all here as a competition. So mm-hmm.
2: the prize is what pad? The Bloodstone.
0: The actual Bloodstone. Who's
2: going to be the next wielder?
0: Yeah. So this is a freaking crazy scenario to begin with and then we do see there is another competitor that is in the field an unannounced one
2: yes and that is who pad elsa that is uh the uh ulysses and verus's daughter uh who came along despite her mother not wanting her to do so
0: yeah laura donnelly played her she was great in this as well so they wind up having this like survival of the game, so to speak, ty- type of vibe going on. Mm-hmm. It's
2: like a Hunger Games type of thing. Yeah, because they're all hunting e-
0: like each other. It's Basically, the last person standing is going to get mm-hmm. the <laughs> Bloodstone, which it's, it's crazy to think what was going on, because at first you think they're hunting something, mm-hmm. but then they're all fighting each other. So it's like the honor amongst thieves is out the window. Well, it's
2: like they, they wake up or whatever. They get into, They get to the maze, and they're like, what the hell are we doing? What are we looking for? And there's a scream. Mm-hmm. And there's like a howl or a growl or something off in the distance. And I think it was Ferus is just like, well, it appears that the uh, prize has been set. So uh, good luck.
0: Yeah. So the Bloodstone is now hidden somewhere on the property, which is crazy.
2: Yeah. It seems a little dangerous, but eh, whatever. So they're all kind of going through the,
0: the house here. And it's like a, it's a castle type deal, and it's a very big manor. And you're seeing that they're all basically trying to kill each other. So mm-hmm. you're seeing everybody really step up their their game here. And then we see the introduction where Jack is kind of going through and he runs into an old friend. Mm-hmm. And, Pad, who is that old friend? Uh,
2: that is some dude named Ted.
0: Yes, a.k.a. Man Thing, which if you don't know about him, 1971 he's been around. He is... Uh, the closest comparison is he is the MCU version of Swamp Thing, but very, very different because he is a highly, highly powerful entity mm-hmm. that is... It's crazy to see what he can do. Like, if, if you show fear, he can burn you with his touch, and, and you saw a lot of that going on here as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. They more or less made him humanize in the sense, like, he was showing a lot more emotion than I've seen in the comics yeah. with him.
2: He was very clearly able to recognize people and not exactly respond, but could give, like nonverbal cues
0: yeah it was definitely an interesting story with him and just like his whole backstory is something crazy too as well but to see like how how powerful he is like that's where he kind of really separates from swamp thing like swamp thing is a very powerful entity in his own right in dc but man thing is like on a whole different level like he is the protector of the nexus of all realities Mm -hmm. like legit in the comics like it is wild to see but he is also a character in the marvel fandom that has a following like Modoc. Mm-hmm. So to kind of put in comparison, they have a very similar passionate fan base about them. And seeing Manthin come out of here, he was winning people over. Like I say, very subtle with his movements, but you see obviously Jack Russell has a has a connection with him too and is basically trying to escape with him. And you do see Elsa kind of get tied in with them as well. So there's some crazy fight scenes going on. You're seeing people getting arms cut off. Like it's, it's absolutely batshit crazy. So... You do see that Jack Russell does get an explosive device, sets it by the wall, Mm -hmm. so he can free Ted. Yep. And when he does this, though, he winds up getting captured. Mm Mm-hmm. And you see, the Man-Thing escapes, though, which it was a cool situation going on because Elsa does remove the bloodstone. So technically, he's free from everything. Yep. So once this is going on, this also triggers the curse of jack russell mm-hmm. and you start seeing the werewolf start to emerge a little mm-hmm. bit so now he's taken in because his cover is blown because you see that bloodstone's widow there has now recognized this and versus is like we're going to capture him like you fake this in the entire time yeah. like your yep. whole record of being a, of a hunter is flawed mm-hmm. so you've now lied to us. so they basically imprison him
2: yeah, they lock him up in like a cage with the daughter elsa and he's like uh, and they like i Jack can't figure out why they locked him in there together, but Elsa's got to figure it out. She's like, no, I I know why they locked locked us in together. And he explains to her, like, hey, listen, I realize I'm a werewolf, but hey, it only happens on full moons. You know, and the next full moon isn't for five days. And she goes, well, funnily enough, that stone can turn you into a werewolf in five seconds. Mm -hmm. And he just looks and goes, well, shit.
0: Yeah. No, he played it off very, very calmly. Like, everything that was going He's on. He's like,
2: "Ah, oh, don't worry. We got five days. Five days is plenty enough time to figure out how we can get out of here. She's like, uh, dumbass. We have, like, five seconds.
0: Yeah, no, they were definitely playing a more comedic role about this, which I'm fine with. Like, you, I, you don't really need to be super serious with it. I mean, and he was kind of playing hamming it up a little bit. Like, Bernal's performance, like I, I said, spot on. Great. Loved it. I didn't think he went over the top with it, but they were yeah. definitely having their humor moments going back and forth, too. And like I said, they had great chemistry talking between Donnelly and, and Bernal but you do see him go into the full werewolf by night
1: mm. ensemble I guess yeah. is the
0: easy way to describe it he looked great like i say oh, phenomenal didn't look cheesy didn't look anything you know half-assed they really made him look like the, from the comics which i was fully applauding and you do see that he is now so super strong he winds up escaping and instead of you know killing elsa he's killing Every guard in that building.
2: Well, in Christ Money. so two things. One, the transformation sequence was phenomenal. Yes. Very much in that old school, like I said, 1930s, 1940s, you know, the Universal Monster Movies way where you see the silhouette. You don't see him turning, you know, but it's it's viscera's all hell. And, and they got the sound effects going to the nines. And then fucking Verusa has the audacity and the stupidity to stick her arm near the cage. Yeah. And this... I don't even know what you call this, this sequence where he basically grabs hold of her arm and then is ripping or eating her arm off. And you never see it, but they just got the camera stays focused in on Verusa's face Mm -hmm. and she's freaking the fuck out. And you just hear her narration like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Help me. Help me. He's he's ripping my arm. He's eating my my hand off. Yeah. Like never would have expected this. Like it was nasty and it was gruesome and it was like scary as all shit, because there were certain points in this, you know, where the blood's splattering and it's hitting the camera lens. Yes. Which was fucking wild. But to get this level of like, oh my, like just how graphic it was without even showing anything that they're like, she's like, oh my God, oh my God, you know, my hand, he's eating my hand, but they never showed it. I'm sitting here going, boy, this is taking some, some balls
0: here. I gotta say, I'm glad you brought that up over the camera in the blood. They kept it one shot and you saw the more that, werewolf by night was going after people mm-hmm. you saw the blood stay on the camera oh yeah and they didn't wipe it off which I mean,
2: is some, something they normally avoid when it comes to filming this stuff
0: no but they fully went in horror movie yeah, style they did. and they did not pull any punches like that's one thing i, I, I applaud them about it was a very cool cinematic feature they did because if you're not sure about how vicious this character is i mean he's a werewolf and he's not exactly mm-hmm. one that's very kind and in such no he's vicious as all hell like i say Go go search some of those old school Moon Knight comics, and you'll get caught up very very quick. But to see how it was portrayed on here, I thought was very well. You saw the back and forth going on with him and Elsa because Elsa's helping him.
2: Well, yeah, because and especially there was a sequence right before he turned where uh, Jack goes up to Elsa and starts sniffing her. Yeah. Starts smelling her hair and sniffing her wrist and smelling her clothes, and she just looks at me and goes, "The hell are you doing?" He's like, I'm trying to remember your scent. You know, if, if I smell you and I remember your scent when I turn, I won't kill you. Has that ever happened? Well, once.
0: Yeah. No, it was, kind of, it was a very cool sequence that they had there. And it, I love how they explained his powers for that. Yeah. Because the entire time that he's sitting there fighting uh, Versus, he, she has the bloodstone and she's using it as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And he's not getting anywhere close. So you do see that she's now stopping them. And then when she tries going after Elsa... 'Cause obviously he is now completely take, or she's taken care of werewolf by night. We see the man, the king, the the one and only man thing come back Yep. and literally incinerate Jesus. her. Jesus. Like that's what I say, with his powers, you don't realize this. Uh huh. But that's how scary he can be if he's unleashed.
2: Gruesome and visceral because they didn't turn away. They never. They didn't pan the camera away. You saw it, mm-hmm. but because of the way the episode was filmed, and because it's in that old black and white style, and it's kind of grainy and it's kind of hard to see, like those old movies are. Yeah, yeah. They kept it on there because you you could tell she was getting burned, but it wasn't like necessarily like oh you're seeing the flesh you know char and burn and all that like you could tell, but like you really couldn't.
0: No, you couldn't tell. Like that was one thing for being on Disney Plus. They didn't shy away from anything, and they really amped up the violence and they were amped up the horror, which was great
2: because that's what you need to do to establish this character. I didn't look, but I'm looking it up now. I wonder what the rating was on this thing. I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking it up now.
0: Okay, but like I say, so while this is going on, you see that Elsa is now taking control of the Bloodstone. She's staying there, and then you see the next day. TV
2: fourteen. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? They camouflaged a lot. So yeah, I, they did. I, they did. It was, it was, I figured it'd be higher. It would probably. It would probably was going to be a lot higher. I got to say that. It was something though that played out because even at the ending though we go back to color mm-hmm. and you know one thing too which I I definitely took a note of when they switched over to color they're playing somewhere over the rainbow caught
2: that thought that was interesting
0: yeah I thought that was a very interesting play going on there too because you leave Elsa back now at, at the mm-hmm. manor so she's now running she's now going yep. to be the bloodstone in the MCU moving forward yep and then you have man thing and <laughs> or and werewolf by night now camping
2: can that just be like the next series. I'm telling you, man. Like a campy buddy trip film between uh, Werewolf and and Man-Thing? There's no
0: way they're not going to bring him back. And the one thing is you have Jack Russell now is back in human form, and Man-Thing is, like, taking him back and, like, giving him, like, coffee in the morning, and they're, like, just kind of recapping the events. even though Man-Thing can't talk, but you can definitely hear, like, he's showing more emotion than I think I've ever seen him do. But I was perfectly fine. And it works because now he's crossed over, like – if you weren't a fan before, everybody's talking about how he got brought on the screen and mm-hmm. how he's portrayed and basically gives him the happy ending. And now the questions become, where do we go from here,
2: Pat? Well, it's going to be interesting because, like I said, I fully anticipate they're using this world in this short to set up the Blade film down the road because you got it for your Blade vampire, you know, kind of in that world, in that universe. I think they're going to build off of this and, and kind of use it to springboard into into some stuff. It'll be very interesting to see. But this was a hell of an episode, and this was phenomenal in every sense.
0: I'm going to one-up you about the Blade film. There's a uh, video game that's coming out by Marvel Yeah. that we've heard a lot about, and it delves into the supernatural.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. Midnight Suns. Yeah, that could be.
0: If you're not familiar with that comic line from the 90s, I think you're going to get a very, very big introduction. The thing about Werewolf by Night is he can get plugged and played into that scenario. Like The thing is, he's not exactly an Avenger-level type character. He does have some allegiances to the Midnight Suns because from that, that comic line, they've kind of spawned into their own group or own branding, so to speak. So you can see him there. Mm-hmm. If they really want to go some places... I don't know who else you would introduce. Sure, that's like a the, the horror character universe. You know, like how Universal had like the Mummy. and oh, yeah, yeah, and, the monster
2: movies. Yeah, yeah,
0: they might try doing something like that with the MCU characters. They could. There is variations of that. Dracula is in the MCU. They could. And Werewolf by Night would fit in there as well, and, and then
2: and then you could even just to kind of bring the audiences in if they might if they might not be so necessarily into the horror aspect of things. You could bring in the not so super powered heroes, you know, like a Kate Bishop, yeah. or something like that. Where like, hey, they're still gift, they still have abilities, and they're still great. But like, it's not a total overpower, you know, fight between the two.
0: Yeah, well, especially if you got Man Thing in there because he has been featured on a few rosters in the comics universe over time. Uh, never to the Avengers, to my knowledge, sure. but he's, he's kind of floated there. Like I, I'm sure that he's been in like one of the spin-off groups, but I'm not going to say like full Avengers, but he's one of those characters. Like you can definitely plug in. Like at one point he was on the Thunderbolts. Now, is he going to be in the MCU one? No, not as of yet. Anyway, that would be amazing if they brought him he in. He could show up. Oh my God. I'd mark out like a madman. That would be one thing that would get me excited about that movie, but it's a situation. Now you've opened that door to the supernatural realm of the MCU. We've only seen this happen a few times. We've seen this happen in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with a Darkhold. We've seen this happen with Ghost Rider. Mm -hmm. We've seen this happen to a lesser degree with Moon Knight. But Moon Knight is kind of one of those characters that can get flexed in there, Mm -hmm. depending on the story. Blade is another one. So they are planting the seeds for it if they really want to do a Midnight Suns run. I think we're going to see that in some capacity. To what degree, I don't know. I think maybe season two of Moon Knight might have Werewolf by Night stop by. I could see it. I could definitely see that. But then again, they're going to go in a lot of different directions. Like They've gone so far away from the comics, it's hard to predict. Sure. So we'll have to wait and see about that. But with Werewolf by Night, I could see a Blade appearance. I definitely could see that, you know, depending on what's going on with that script, though. Right. I yeah. think maybe the original plan would might have had him in there, but now to be determined, dot, dot, dot. Either way, they have a big win Perfect time of year to do this. If they want to do a Midnight Suns one-shot every October, I think that's smart money. Oh, absolutely. I really think that's smart money. If they do it regularly, uh, I don't know. But I do say the more characters you can introduce, especially in this post-Avengers era, which I say post because, let's face it, the original trinity of the group, I don't think we're going to see on screen anytime soon. But... I think this next wave, you're gonna to want to establish as many heroes as you can. Marvel's doing a smart thing with this, and I really think they got a home run here. So, I'm definitely saying check this show out if you haven't. It's only, it's under an hour too, so it's a very quick watch. It moves very fast. The cinematography is great, acting spot on, and this is a different side of the MCU than you've seen before. So definitely make sure to check this out on Disney Plus. But in the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag #ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about Werewolf by Night? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Have you watched it yet? And why not? And what is your thoughts about Man Thing? Let's talk about the real star of this show, shall we? We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideboom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH podcast. Wanna go out no one?
0: Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got?
2: Got a couple of things to talk about. Uh, The first of which is some sad news and some unfortunate news because it was announced a couple of days ago that the great actor Robbie Coltrane, uh, probably best known for his work as Hagrid in the Harry Potter film series, had passed away at the age of 72. And I'm not going to lie, this one for me fucking hurt. Because as much as I am a Star Wars fan, as much as I am a Lord of the Rings fan, you know, I would not have gotten into those books were it not for Harry Potter, you know, because, you know, I, I know I've said it before, but it's been a while. I did not like reading as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I w- would do summer reading challenges at the local library, but I would cheat to to do that. I do choose your own advent, you know, because they wouldn't check you on it. Yeah. You know, they just kind of took you at your word. Hey, you're a kid. I would check out, you know, choose your own adventure books or something real short and easy just so I could get that little prize or whatever it was at the end of the reading challenge.
0: Pad hustling.
2: Uh, exactly. It wasn't until, you know, the third Harry Potter book was getting ready to come out in 1997 or ni- 1999. No, 1999. You know, it wasn't until right in 1999 when the third Harry Potter book was getting ready to come out and enough people were talking about it that I was like, you know what? Enough people are talking about this, and a lot of people like it. I want to see what this is about, and I went down to my local library, and, and I said, "Hey, I'm looking to read the Harry Potter books, but I've never read any of them." And the and the lady working there helped me out, and she said, "You know, well, well let's find them for you." Types it up on her, you know, ancient you know computer lookup system they had back then. Because hey, this is 1999. This wasn't exactly the World Wide Web we know today. You know, looked it up and goes, oh, unfortunately, it looks like they're all checked out. Let me see if we got maybe something sitting in the back. Didn't have anything. Gave me the second book. And she goes, listen, I know this is the second book in the series. You don't really need it. It tells you enough in the beginning to understand what happened in the first one. It doesn't give you everything, but it gives you enough to go on and you go from there. I read it in a day. Damn. And this is me who didn't like. So I, I got immediately immersed into this world. And, and loved everything about it, you know, I was on a 10-year journey of my life, you know, from 2001 to 2011, going to the movies, seeing them, you know, when they first came out, you know, so Robbie Coltrane was very much a part of my life for 10 years as Hagrid, I mean, for me, he is Hagrid, you know, there was, there was a long-running joke when the first movie came out He's got a line in the movie where, like, he's got a propriety to to spill things he shouldn't and, and say things he shouldn't say. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not necessarily like, oh, he's saying, th- you know, there's no filter between it. Oh, there is no filter between uh, his head and his brain. But there's, like, stuff he should keep in confidence with the teachers that he kind of lets slip. And he goes, oh, I shouldn't have told you that. I shouldn't have told you that. Running joke with my par- my parents and my siblings for a couple of years. You know, we'd always just look oh, I shouldn't have told you that. Shouldn't have told you that. You know, so he was very much a part uh, in bringing a huge and monumental influence in my life to life on the big screen. You know, he, he was larger than life, you know, and, and very much going to be missed, but it's like he said, you know, you know, he won't be, you know, he was talking about on the Harry Potter 20th anniversary special on, you know, that they did for HBO max, you know, that he said, you know, my kids will be showing their kids, these movies in 50 years, I won't be around, but Hagrid will. You know, so while Robbie Coltrane is gone, he will live on in these movies and the other works he did, you know, and and for that, I am grateful that he did these works, you know, because it gives us an opportunity to appreciate his work and everything he did, you know, and he, like I said, he'll be sorely
0: missed. Yeah, definitely. Rest in peace and condolences out to his family, friends and fans all over the world.
2: Yeah. Uh, Switching over to some Marvel news, uh, we have a replacement uh, for General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah,
0: this is huge. Uh,
2: For Captain America New World Order. Uh, So reading from an article on Deadline.com, it says, quote, Exclusive! It's official. Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones franchise, will be taking over the Marvel role of General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, beginning with Phase 5 title, Captain America New World Order. He'll star opposite Anthony Mackie uh, with uh, Sharia Haas, tim blake nelson and carl Lumby also among the ensemble ford's captain america casting had been in the rumor mill for some time with the ankler's jeff snyder uh, among those speaking to it of late, uh, while the new film's plot is being kept under wraps, Mackie will replies, reprise his role as Sam Wilson, who assumed the mantle of Captain America in Disney Plus's hit series *The Falcon and the Winter Soldier*. Julius Onat will serve as the pick's director. Uh, close quote. Uh, he is, of course, uh, of course, he is reprising or taking over the role uh, from the gentleman who passed away. I'm blanking. William up. Hurt. Thank you, William Hurt, who passed away, you know, a couple of years ago. But huge casting. Never would have thought I'd see Harrison Ford, you know, in a Marvel film. But to the people who are going, well, why would Harrison Ford join a fan base as rabid as the Marvel films? Hello. He got asked questions for the better part of, like, 40 years. Would he ever play Harrison Ford again? I think he can handle Marvel Marvel fans.
0: Well, the one thing is about this is, okay, a couple things. One, big signing. Huge signing. Huge. But we all knew that he was... He ran his course with Star Wars. I didn't think he wanted to come back.
2: Mm-hmm. There were rumors that he was supposed to get killed off in the fifth one. That's, yeah. why, that's why he got frozen, and then he came back for the sixth one. And then he got killed in the seventh.
0: Right. So like that was the whole thing. Like I didn't think he wanted, to come, he wanted any part of it again. So that said, seeing him come back is a big move because mm-hmm. I was like not having him picked on my radar. And there's been so many rumors. And I want to stress this, too. Maybe I'll do like a little editorial here. Not everybody is going to get casted for every single role out there. Sure. Like, we, I know the fan base is, like, foaming at the mouth. Oh, my God, yeah. Running with just...
2: The biggest names for the biggest roles.
0: Yeah. It's like, pump the brakes and just wait till you hear an official site post something.
2: Deadline, Hollywood Reporter variety.
0: Yeah, and I'm not saying that some of the other ones that aren't verified, you know, get it wrong... But I think there's a lot that are just going out there and you're just hearing so much get thrown at the mm-hmm. wall that it's just what's going to stick. And I'm just saying fans be better about this. You don't need to go jump to have it to get an exclusive like you're not working for this. Just be a fan and enjoy it.
2: The thing I will say, having followed, I guess you could say movie rumors, casting rumors for you know, a number of years, these things are never announced in Bulk. Yeah. You know, they're announced in pieces. You might get one or two, maybe even sometimes three. But you know, because I know sometimes these with these Marvel rumors, you know, and even hell, DC rumors too. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll they'll list six, seven, eight, nine characters, and then list all those those actors who are going to play them at the same time, and they're for different movies and different roles and different. That never happens. You will never ever 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 get a film dropped where they announce you know or a rumor dropped or something from like Variety, Hollywood Reporter, going. Oh, you know, here's the nine people that are going to be the main cast of the upcoming, yeah. upcoming, you know, the new Avengers movie. It's in bits and pieces. It comes out slowly because the that's the way the studios do it.
0: Yeah, it doesn't happen that way. So, so, so
2: if you see a site out there or a Twitter account or Instagram account or whatever that's listing eight, nine, ten people that are going to be in an upcoming Marvel movie, and they're all different roles for different movies, take it with the largest grain of salt you can.
0: Exactly. So... You got to just be careful out there. So that being said, I mean, obviously we heard rumors of this
2: came to fruition. So that's kind of a big deal. Yeah.
0: Uh, it's an interesting casting.
2: Uh, rumors of his retirement from films have been greatly exaggerated. Yeah. And I, and I, <laughs> guess, I
0: guess the question I got is, he, is he playing Rulk now? May it, well, somebody will.
2: Will it be him in the CGI costume? No.
0: No, but that's no. the whole thing. Like, I'm surprised they're going there because that, that's the only thing I, mean, I can cause see. He,
2: he is getting up there in age. And it was rumored, you know, that. Uh, the Indiana Jones 5 would be the last movie he acted in. Uh, clearly not.
0: No, definitely not. So interesting casting. I mean, I'm kind of very split about it. I, I've never been a big Thunderbolt Ross character fan. I'm but, not,
2: but I like Harrison Ford, so I'm all for
0: it. Yeah, Ford in there is going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I'm just curious long-term, like, what the what's going to be the plan? Are we going to see Red Hulk or Rolk? I don't want to see that. I'm, I'm not a fan of the Jeff Loeb run, personally, mm-hmm. of, of Hulk. That's just me. But if if that's your character, you know, let's talk about it in the hashtag. But yeah. I'm gonna say I, I'm kind of like, it's a it's a big move for Marvel. You kind of expect it, but long term, let's wait and see.
2: Mm-hmm. Switching over to some DC news, uh, we got some in- interesting information from The Hollywood Reporter, uh, specifically about James Gunn and some potential stuff in the future for uh, DC films.
0: Yeah, this is huge.
2: So reading from the article, it says, quote, The Hollywood Reporter can exclusively re- report that James Gunn, the filmmaker behind Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy movies, as well as Warner B- Warner's DC-based the-, the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker, is angling for his own new DC project or two. Sources tell The Hollywood Reporter that Gunn and producer Peter Safran are in talks with Warner Burt Warners for a mystery movie, possibly more, that Gunn would tackle. Safran is already in the DC business, being a producer on Shazam and its upcoming sequel, as well as Aquaman and that movie's sequel. Warners had no comment, but one insider observes a carving of the comic company's intellectual assets is happening. Quote, DC is definitely in play, says the person. How much will play... How much play will, uh, may depend on your perspective from inside or outside the studio? While it isn't clear what hero or teams Gunn is targeting, and the writer director would focus on a second season of Peacemaker first, the studio's eyes are very much on Superman. Under Warner Brothers Discovery, CEO David Zlaslav, and Warner Brothers Pictures had Michael DeLuca and Pam uh, Ed, Edby, uh, Warner's has an intense desire to reprise the Cavill iteration of the hero. The project that would essentially be Man of Steel 2 is being produced by Charles Roven and is currently searching for writers. There is a wish list, of course, and Christopher McQuarrie, uh, the hand that guides the Mission Impossible movies, was on it. McQuarrie worked with Cavill on the 2018 installment, Fallout, but sources say no official outreach has been made, nor may it be feasible, as the director is working on the next back-to-back Mission Impossible installments. Johnson, however, has Superman plans of his own uh, and has been very vocal, uh, this being Dwayne Johnson, Mm -hmm. however, has been Superman plans of his own and has been very vocal about his desire to make a Black Adam versus Superman movie, a desire he has only reiterated more frequently in the lead up to the Black Adam's release. Uh, This comes as he talks up the surprise cameo at the end of Adam with the actor all but stating that Cavill uh, will appear. Insiders are wondering if Johnson's comments are intended to goose the movie's opening weekend box office numbers, or to maneuver Superman onto his own chessboard, or perhaps both. Close quote. But Ken, there's some more information uh, that you were mentioning. What's going on with DC? Yeah.
0: So coming out of that article, the and via Fandom too, the Flash two script is done. Mm. It's already written. Interesting. Uh, by Aquaman's David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick. Okay. Uh so if the Flash in its current incarnation is good mm-hmm. they're going to a sequel they already got it ready oh it's, it's, okay it's already sitting in the can okay uh it was announced that matt reeves is seeking writers and directors for the batman's rogues gallery spinoff films yeah
2: what was the one i saw professor pig professor which pig fucking give it to me that'd be wild and i'd be here for it scarecrow and
0: clayface okay that'd be good clayface would be a good one scarecrow yeah. I, don't, I don't i don't know see the, well, I'll, I'll get into it when I, we get done reading about this. Because the last one that really caught my eye was Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman 3 script is expected eminently. Hmm. That, that is according to okay. the article via Hollywood report, Reporter. So, okay, so there is a lot going on with this. Yeah, so, So, like, let's break this down in, in these fronts. Okay, one... Warner Brothers might not have been keen about uh, Henry Cavill, but Dwayne the Rock Johnson wants him there. So guess what? It's a whole new era with DC and him involved there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we know going into this weekend, Black Adam is coming to the movie theaters this week. So this is going to be a big temp in the room. And another editorial, too, and I said this online, I'll say this again. There's a lot of reviews coming out early that have varying opinions about the film. If you are really excited about this film, go see it and make your own judgment after. That's what we do here. Mm -hmm. We give editorials. And we will, you know, like I say, I usually read a quick number to get a temp in the room. Sure. But there's been times that those numbers have been wrong. Yeah. For better or for worse. Yeah. So I'm going to just say this. If you're super excited to go see this movie about DC's now (laughs) anti-hero, which I I agree with Ron from 3FN, uh, I... He's not an anti-hero. He's just – he's that's never been him until recently. I Like, listen, if you're excited about the film, go see it. And, you know, if you like it, say why you like it. If you didn't like it, say why you didn't like it. Trust me. It's cool either way. But go make your own decision. And, obviously, with the Dwayne era taking over, because it was announced today that DC, uh, head of their, their film division – Walter Hamada. Walter Hamada is gone. Yep. Well, so, yeah,
2: because yeah, he he had agreed to stay on through the release of Black Adam, and then he would assess whether he would stay on from there. Well, we're at the release, and he ain't staying.
0: No, it's been widely reported. Deadline's got that article up, too, that he's gone after 15 years. Yeah, it's so, crazy. That's, I mean, with Warner's, and uh, uh, according to the article, four years as president of DC Films, he's gone. Yeah. So it's a whole new era. Like I said, Dwayne "The Rock Johnson wants to do co- uh, a couple things. Uh, James Gunn back at it.
2: Yeah. That's a big deal. I mean, listen, for as great as Peacemaker season one was, and for as amazing as this the Suicide Squad was, mm-hmm. give him the key, like, essentially do, I think they're doing for him again what they did with the Suicide Squad. They're, like, they're giving him the key and a blank check and going, what do you want to do? You know, and, and for as good as it both of those products were for DC, I can't fault him for it.
0: Yeah. I got three words. I think I know what he's doing. Yeah. Green Lantern Corps.
2: Ooh. I'd be all right with Why that. Why not? Get get a Ryan Reynolds cameo for reasons. Let's get real, folks. Yeah. But no, yeah, the even the review thing. I mean, it was brought up by Multiverse of Madness in, in one of our uh Twitter chats. Take reviews for like a grain of salt. Use them as a gauge whether you want to see a movie or not. If you're sure if you're on like Odds are you for most movies you've already made a decision whether you're going to go or not. You mm-hmm. know, but if you're on the fence of something, certainly use Rotten Tomatoes, the IMDb score, or even a site's review if they give a number score, or a, a star score, or letter score or whatever. Use it as a gauge, but never set any precedent by it because, as was pointed out by Multi- multiverse of badness, Roger Ebert gave the 1997 Spawn film three and a half stars out of five.
0: Well, I mean. I, I don't see any faults with that. <laughs> no,
2: but, that, but you're at Odie Parley hour. If you'd like to point out any faults to count on.
0: That <laughs> exactly. No, it's ODPH podcast. Oh, yeah, that's weird. We, ODPH podcast. We, we, you can try the old one. No, I don't think it's still up and running. No. no, but but that's the whole thing too. Then you just use it as a gauge and be your own fans and make your own criticisms. Like I know we, we give a hard time to some people that really go hard in the paint for eternals. I will disagree with you all day about that, but I respect your opinion. And that's the thing. If you, if you really feel that way about it, then do you. You know, yeah. At the end of the day, it ain't my cup of java, so trust me. I am not losing sleep about it. Uh, the Matt Reeves thing, though, getting back to the article. Fucking give it to me. That's crazy.
2: I'm all for it. Listen, I I saw the Professor Pig one, and I'm like, that would be wild, and I'd be here for it because it's so different.
0: It's, it's extremely different. So the fact we're going that route. I mean, I don't know what to expect. Like, I know after Hard, what, I can
2: tell you right now, they do a Professor Pig movie. Hard R rating. Oh, yeah. That's, that ain't getting a PG-13. ain't getting
0: no fucking PG-13. No. No, no chance in hell about no. that I, I just, let me just say, I can't see that going down. So that'll be interesting to see how that all plays out, if that all comes to fruition. But we, we've heard a lot coming out of the Batman film that I think we just need to temper the expectations because there's been you know spin-off show here do this do that till we actually start seeing this we just got to go in and just be fans. Like that's mm-hmm. that's a big takeaway I got with that. And uh, lastly the Wonder Woman 3 script, I'm not surprised at that. I'm not surprised at all. Like they're going to do a trilogy film. Like there was no question about it. No matter how bad uh, Wonder Woman 84 was. Oh, like God, they yeah. they were going to do another one. Um uh, so I think they're going to take a lot of the you know the miscues from that film and and run with it in a different direction. So okay, I'm good with that. But overall like if you're a DC Comics film fan, be happy. There's a lot of stuff to to use as a rallying point, but the thing that they need to do, but and I'm going to stress this, they need to come in and deliver. If they don't deliver on any of this, this is all just a nice press release. Mm-hmm. I feel, though, Dwayne Johnson has taken it upon himself to really make this his franchise, really make this into something. So it's going to be on the rock's shoulders to deliver. The Black Adam vs. Superman film is only there... For certain fans that are fans of The Rock and Henry Cavill, there really isn't one screaming that for the comics. If you're going to do anything, do Superman vs Shazam, but that's not going to happen. At least not in this incarnation. No. So take it for what you will, but at least I like there's some energy coming out of this. There's some things to be excited about, and DC has had a solid year thus far with its projects. You have to give them their due. There has it been amazing home runs out of the park? Well, no. Debatable. But I think there's been a lot of wins for their stuff on HBO Max. Peacemaker is one that we definitely talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. So that said, big win for DC. Let us know what you think about that.
2: Uh, And then lastly, certainly not least, we got some video game news uh, from the folks over at Konami, because one of their most storied franchises is making a comeback in holy fucking shit in a big way. Uh, That is the Silent Hill franchise. Now, it has been quite some time since we've seen a a game in the mainline series. Uh, 2012 was the last one with Silent Hill downpour uh that came out in 2012 there was also some other games that came out in 2012 you know they had Silent Hill Book of Memories that was in 2012 and then you had the uh HD collection that was the in 2012 but so and and then even the movies it's been you know 2006 you had the main movie and then there's some other ones there was a uh you know Silent Hill Revelation you know that was an adaptation based on Silent Hill 3 you know that was released in 2012 you know but it's uh, it's been a while you know since you've had any of that stuff but Boy, oh boy, did they take advantage of spooky season to announce some Silent Hill stuff. But Buck- yeah. Buckle in, folks. Uh, there there's some announcements. Uh, coming out at some point, you have the Silent Hill 2 remake. Uh, reading from an article on IGN.com, it says, quote, As rumored, Bloober Team is developing a full remake of Silent Hill 2 with the help of original team silent artist uh, Masahiro Ito and composer Akira Yamakawa. Uh, the remake was announced for PlayStation 5, uh, although I'll, I'll just say this. I presume it's going to come out on the other consoles. It's just they announced it for PlayStation 5 right now. Uh, the remake will t- retell the story of James, James Sunderland, who is looking for his dad, his dead wife, uh, who sent him a mysterious letter from the town of Silent Hill. Konami and Bluebird are promising a fully reworked game with new technology and delivered in 4K. Damn. Uh, so yeah, this is a remake based off of the game that came out for the PlayStation 2, the original Xbox and Microsoft Windows. Uh, came out in September 24th, 2001. So if you played that one, been a few years since that one, it's going to look a little different. It should be good though.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely looked interesting.
2: Uh, they also announced Silent Hill Townfall. Uh, this is, uh, again, reading from the article on IGN.com. Uh, quote, a new spinoff developed by No Code Studios. Uh, they did Stories Untold. Okay. And publisher Annapura Interactive. This new project will be a unique take on the Silent Hill franchise from a highly decorated AA developer. Uh, you also had Silent Hill F announced, uh, which says, quote, another new spin-off announced is Silent Hill F. Set in 1960s Japan, this narrative driven story will be written by acclaimed Japanese writer uh, Ryukashi 07, who created visual novels like Hirogushi and uh, Umnikko. Uh, the spin-off will juxtapose a beautiful and terrifying world and focus on the psychological supernatural mysteries of Silent Hill. Uh, You also had Silent Hill Ascension announced, Uh, quote, potentially the most unique announcement from the transmission, Konami announced Silent Hill Ascension, an immersive project where participants around the world will control the characters in a new Silent Hill story, basically a Let's Play Pokemon version of a new new Silent Hill story that will be live on multiple platforms. Silent Hill Ascension is a collaboration between Genvid Entertainment, Bad Robot Games, and Behavior Interaction and DJ2 Entertainment, close quote. This one sounds interesting just because I don't think there's ever been anything quite like this ever. Yeah. You know, that it's interactive. People control the whole thing. It's it's almost like the do you want Robin to die or do you want him to live sequence?
0: Yeesh. That's <laughs> wild. Yeah. The fact that they actually made a Pokemon comparison there was kind of wild. Well, there was
2: a thing. The, po- the Let's Play Pokemon thing was a live stream done on Twitch. I forget what year it was. But it was, I forget, if it was one of the original Pokemon games, red or blue, I forget which one. And what you would do is you would go into the chat and you could put in, you know, A, B, you know, up, down, left, right, whatever, start, whatever. And it would send a f- it would send that button into wherever the game was being played and it would put that function. In. And so essentially, like, people all over the world were controlling this game. Hmm. And they beat the fucking thing. I never thought it happened just because of the chaos and the anarchy and the, and the trolls. But they beat the fucking thing. So to see something even akin to that is going to be wild, especially something like Silent Hill. And I mentioned the movies because, hey, we're going back to the movies. Uh, There is a called Return to Silent Hill. Uh, Quote, Christopher Gans, the director of the first Silent Hill movie, is making a third movie in the series with Return to Silent Hill. Details are being kept under wraps for now, but Konami is promising more information about the project at a later date. Close quote. And those are the uh, Konami Silent Hill announcements. So, hey, if you're a Silent Hill fan, like I said, no, it's been quiet for quite a few years on the franchise, you know, video game-wise. Like I said, 2012, since anything came out from the franchise. But they're coming back, and they're coming back big.
0: Yeah, no, that's huge news for Silent Hill. Like, I I admit, like, they fell off my radar. But oh, yeah. it was still something definitely, like...
2: I never played them just because, again, horror, anything, scares the shit out of me ever since I was a kid. You know, so I never, I never really played them, but I was aware of them. And and I'd totally forgotten about it just because like I said, you know, it's been ten years now since anything has come out for that franchise, which I, I you gotta figure Christ, I went, you know, thirteen years between mainline Kingdom Hearts games, you know, with numbered Kingdom Hearts games. And I was chomping and salivating at the bit for the third one to come out. I can't imagine what Silent Hill fans are gonna be like when those games finally come out.
0: Oh, they're gonna be out of control. They're gonna be nuts. They're gonna be absolutely out of control. Uh on my front, uh one quick news uh, recommendation for this week. Okay. Coming to Amazon. Prime Video, or I should say, Prime Video is, is sure. the official thing now. There was a there's a show that was coming out. They had a panel in New York Comic Con. I didn't get the chance to attend it, but definitely caught my eye. And that is the show entitled The Peripheral. So this is going to star Chloe Grace Moretz. You might know her as Hit Girl yeah, yeah, yeah. from Kickass and a few other things. She's great. Uh, So, this is going to be based off the 2014 book uh, written by William Gibson. Mm. Very sci-fi vibe uh, that I saw with the trailer going on with this. So, the premiere episode is going to be dropping Friday, October 21st on Prime Video. Okay. Uh, Stay tuned to the ODPH social media. Might have something to say about that uh, in the very near future. But definitely going to be talking about this on next week's show. But Want to say right now, it looked very cool. And uh, like I said, keep your eyes peeled to ODPH social media for reasons. At the comic shop this week. Um, well, actually, I got a couple picks from Comixology. Definitely want to plug that. You know, I love their line that they do with Comixology originals and definitely had a strong uh, one-two punch this week. Mark Dawson's Beatrix Rose Vigilante number four came out. So that is Stephanie Phillips, Valeria Favoka, uh, Ellie Wright on the colors. Amazing book, love this book, love what they're doing here. Uh, Stephanie Phillips does no wrong in my in my eyes. Between this and Grim, two of my favorite books out in the in the in the stores right now in the in the comics universe, if you will. And this one definitely is building up for a fever pitch. I believe next issue is going to be the last one of here, and they're going out on a high note. Always a high adrenaline rush, always a great read. So definitely want to plug that. And there was a graphic novel that came out that definitely caught my eye. Is entitled Night at the Belfry Pad. Written by Xavier Saxon. And this is a very, very unique story going on. It centers around a 73-year-old man who is uh, like one bad day causes a crazy experience for him. And it's basically his battle against Father Time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's got one more round left. And, you know, he wants to kind of redeem himself after an incident goes on. It's a very, very cool read. I got to say this. I mean, it is long. Like I said, it's a graphic novel, but it is well worth the time. Showing pad the cover right now. Ooh. It's a little confusing because if, if you read that, but once you dive into the story, you understand what's going on. I thought it was a fascinating read. Like, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Saxon was on the art and story. And I thought it really was a cool tale and definitely recommend checking it out on comiXology originals and definitely don't miss it when it's out there at the shops. Uh, Cause I'm not sure if it's coming to print, like I would imagine. So, right. You would figure, well, you know, like they have a, they have some unique deals going on. I know the Scott Snyder books are out right now. Night of the ghoul. Like I said, is at the comic shops right now. And if you're not getting it, like I, I'm screaming this right now, go get it. Even if you have it on comiXology, go get it. It's that damn good. So, Definitely keep your eye out for this, though, at Comicsology Originals. Definitely want to plug that. Uh, over from the big uh, 1 2 combos, DC has a strong week. Nightwing number 97 is out. Oh. And then Batman Superman, World's Finest Pad. Why this book is not in your collection yet, I don't know, because it's Mark Wade and Dan Moore. Ooh. And it's Superman and Batman. This is something that screams Padawan J. I know him well. Brian Wayne knows him well from his comics choices iPad. This is going to be your homework assignment. I need you to go check this
2: out. I will say. Also, you mentioned uh, Nightwing ninety seven. I saw the cover art they're going to do for Nightwing one hundred. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice cover. If you haven't seen that, look that up.
0: Yeah. No. Nightwing probably is the best comic out right now in the in the in all of the comic shops. Definitely going to plug that all day, every day. It's definitely. Well, I was going to say Batman Superman gives it a run for the money. Like that's sure. how good it is. But I'm going to say from the body of work that Tom Taylor has done with this, you got to think that Nightwing is, is holding on to the throne, but it's not by much because there's a lot of great stuff at the comic shops, and it's not a slight against uh, Taylor by any stretch of the imagination. Over on the Marvel side, just to kind of bookend what we've been talking about, there's a new book out called Crypto Shadows, number hmm. one. And this is a very unique cover. This kind of has that Midnight Suns vibe to it, some familiar yeah. characters. Yeah. Uh, so this is something you definitely want to keep an eye out for at the comic shops this week. So like I say... As always, support your LCS wherever you're at. Support, you know, wherever you can buy comics. It's a great medium, and we always scream, go find some good stuff. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPagePod If you want recommendations, I got that. In fact, I got one up behind a Patreon wall because I want to give something exclusive to the patrons. Mike alluded to it from Multiverse of Badness, so if you want to find out about that, one tier, $2, and a lot more stuff coming, stay tuned, dot, dot, dot. Before checking out, I was asked to talk about Halloween Kills. Mm-hmm. avoid it at all costs. It is not good. It is not good. It's the worst film of the year, bar none. If you want a further detail about this, the latest episode of 3FN, I was a guest on it. Rich, Ron, and I discuss it. Um, we're just going to leave it at that.
2: say. Let me just say this, because I have not seen any of the Halloween movies, because like I said, I don't really like horror movies scare the shit out of me so all these comparisons and rankings like oh it's better than this but it's worse than this do nothing for me so i i, I, I asked ken i go listen let me give this like a, a ranking that i can understand better or worse than dark phoenix which if you're a long time listener to the show is like one of the worst movies we've ever seen facts i said is this better or worse than dark phoenix and ken said worse which is Ab- which is saying something.
0: Absolutely worse. No, it's literally 50 minutes of them messing around like it was an old school CW show. Like the only thing I was right, waiting for is Remy Zero Save Me to kick on.
2: Hey, listen, you put some respect on Remy Zero.
0: Oh, no, no, no. They couldn't even redeem it.
2: Put some respect on Save
0: Me. And li- like literally it was 50 minutes of that. Then you start dancing around to what really goes on and it was such a letdown for a trilogy film. You, It, it made no damn sense. Like it was, it was just awful from top to bottom. The only thing you can say is March of Man Click all day, every day. That is it. If you want the more full detail, I will do one on Twitter rant, but I will do it when I after, after Monday because I want to give a full week run for the show that we did with 3FN that I was on and as guest for. So if you want to find out about that, 3FNpodcast.com, go find the episode. It's up right now. You should be following and subscribing to them anyway, so that, that goes without saying. Oh, on that note, for anything and everything that is the ODPH, ODPHpodcast.com. That's it for this week for Padawan J. He doesn't know yet, but I'm dragging his ass to see that movie again. Pad will go see this. We're going to go see this. Oh, fuck no. Oh, yeah. No, no. You're, no. If you're dragging me, I'm t- I'm taking you with me. We're going down. This is a team, my friend. Oh, I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parley Hour. Avoid Halloween kills at all costs. We'll see you next time.